0: we're back.
1: Yes. Yes, yeah, it Jeff, is.
0: Uh, really important question to ask.
1: Yes, Graham?
0: Are we recording? We, uh, we are. She's like, I'm not being a dick.
1: No, are no, no, recording? no, 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 no. I know. And I appreciate that. Honestly, what happened after the last call, I should, I'll take a photo of this and send it to you, although you, won't, you probably won't get it while we're online. But, uh, I,
0: but show notes. Don't you worry.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let's see here.
0: So don't make it obscene.
1: Oh, well, all right. Let me take my penis out. Hold on. (laughs) No, I mean, let me take my penis out of the photo. I'd already taken my penis out to put it in the photo, but let me take it out of the photo.
2: (laughs) <laughs>
0: Hello Whatnots, welcome to Baxter Building, no definitive article this time. It's episode 21 and this is the episode where myself, Graham McMillan, and my esteemed co-host introduce yourself. Jeff
1: Lester, thank you for the prompt.
0: We are going to speed through Fantastic Four issues. We're going to go from issues 184 to issue 200. If you think that sounds like a lot, so do Jeff and I. Yes. But we're definitely going to do it. I am completely confident about this, Jeff. I think we can do it. And do you want to know why? Why, Graham? Because. With the best will in the world, is because I've already told you that I, I enjoyed reading these comics. Mm-hmm. These are generic as hell. As opposed to... Because I was thinking earlier on, when we started doing vascular building, we'd go through them issue by issue and we'd always find something interesting in each issue or multiple somethings. Yeah. And, and there'd be a lot to talk about and there'd be a lot to pick apart. And with the best will in the world, that's not the case in these issues. They're working like and they're, 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 they do the job. Mm. But I'm not sure that... They are uh, worthy of. They're not discussion per in terms of issue by issue.
1: I'm I'm not sure that I agree. Weirdly enough, uh, let's put it this way: I absolutely agree that that is the case for. Uh, the books that we're going to be looking at in the 180s. But...
0: By the time the team splits up, is what you're saying. Yeah,
1: the, t- the way yeah, that the I, team I, splits I actually, up. Yeah.
0: yeah, I can actually agree with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, of the, of the, so of the, let's see, how many are there? There's five, seven, 17 issues, but really only 16, because one of them is a reprint. That's right. But of these, there are really three storylines? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um. There is a three-parter, there's a two-parter, and then things kind of go into very long-form storytelling for about ten issues. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, we'll get to this later on when we get to the final four issues, but the, even though I genuinely do think like the last ten issues or so are one story, mm-hmm. but they start towards the end being like, part one of the most fantastic, daring thing ever. Yeah. And I was like... But this has been going on for ages.
1: Yeah, it's been going on. The subplots have been. Yeah, they
0: mm-hmm. sort of artificially go. This is the start, you guys.
1: Right there, there's there's some funkiness. There's there's a little bit of fudging there, which. Um, but yeah, let's let's get to it because I do think that there's some interesting stuff in there. I always remembered the that sort of stretch of run quite favorably and I've mentioned that before and you were like, Oh Jeff, I read them a few years ago and well, that's you're that. not read, right. So I read them
0: a few years ago and I, to my mind then you were definitely not right. These were terrible, terrible comics. Mm-hmm. And I had a very different reaction this
1: time. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, in part maybe because like I've read everything up to now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. But definitely, I, I had a much more favorable reaction this time. This time, yeah. I, yet again, I'm just telling everyone that I am wrong.
1: Well, which is, which is great. But one thing before we dive into this, and I'm fascinated. Can you tell? Because, well, let's. I, I guess we'll get. Part of me is like so uh, um, interested and amused, and in a way, bemused that you enjoyed these issues. But there's also part of me that's like, but why did he, sort of like, Graham, why did you like these so much more than the last batch? Because, you know, you're sort of saying, I don't know, it could really be that that final run up to 200 is.
0: uh, I thought that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we should sort of save that to the end. I think that's fair. We talked about it, but the short version is I find these issues more trashy i guess less convinced of their own uh not just importance but also intelligence hmm. that i found much more much easier to take and much more enjoyable so
1: so in other words uh without that sort of uh, the sickly patina of roy thomas's various ambi- ambitions and um illusions Uh, you found yourself kind of just enjoying – sort of sitting back and enjoying it more.
0: Yes. Uh, Also, it helps that the last ten issues do actually achieve some sort of momentum, especially when you read them all together.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Right.
0: One of my thoughts about why I enjoyed these so is that I really did read all of these in one sitting. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what – for example, the first three-parter was fun but Mm -hmm. nothing great. But when you read like the last ten in a sitting Mm – there really is momentum there. You start becoming more forgiving of hackneyed plot devices. You know, it probably says a lot. Well, it also that it
1: really helps that um, that that ten issue run, which we keep wanting to talk about so much, so we're ignoring the issues before it. So uh, it is you. It's one of the first times you've got kind of a major storyline that is started and completed by the same writer. You know. I just realized. Is yeah. Well, I guess probably not. I
0: don't not. think it is. I, see, I think of, I, I, I think I think of think this. you'll find that um, Len Leinwein starts it and Martin Wolf and finishes it.
1: Well, maybe. Maybe that's true. But I think of those guys as, as currently a little more. Essentially interchangeable. Yeah, it's a little more collaborative. And yeah, certainly oh, yeah, after it, you it's read. It's true. Mm-hmm. There's,
0: definitely, um, there's definitely an element of. Uh, even though there is a writer change, actually there's there's a couple, because Bill Matlow scripts some of this as well.
1: Yeah, Matlow um, does, under so someone else's so... plotting, and I can't remember yeah, if it's Wien or Wolfman.
0: I think it's it's Wien and Pollard.
1: Oh, yeah, right, and Pollard in there too, yeah. Uh,
0: but it's so, it's all much for muchness. Yeah, yeah. The, the We've talked in the past about, you know, Fantastic Four's cover band, and Thomas, weirdly enough, perfected the formula enough mm-hmm. so that when you get to this era, you've almost got, like, the knockoff of the cover band. Yeah. But it's all enough of a sort of weird, gloopy flavor mm-hmm. that it floats very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No matter who's doing it. Yeah. Well, so
1: let's start in with it. Let's start in. Let's start with uh, FF 184, the the storyline that runs from what 184 through 184
0: to 186. Yeah. And uh, 184 is called Aftermath. The Eliminator. 185 is called Here There Be Witches. And 186, Enter Salem Seven. Yeah. It's a the storyline everyone's been waiting for Agatha (laughs) Harkness going home Uh, B the villain's name is so (laughs) hilariously, I mean it's jaw-droppingly shitty I adore it Uh, the villain is called Nick Scratch
1: Nicholas Scratch yeah
0: or Devil Devil
1: (laughs) yeah Satan Fisto (laughs) pants, you (laughs) know, so (laughs) hilarious. Yeah.
0: Satan McSatan. (laughs) And also, enter Salem 7. You do, in fact, get a seven-person supervillain team introduced who are hilariously inept, and yet I love them. I love them so much that the fact that they come back in like an annual, a year or so later, genuinely made me happy. Oh, man
1: oh man
0: because they're terrible like they're so <laughs> pointless and yet i kind of love it anyway the the, the vague plot of these issues uh, to to sort of do a a a macro look is you may or may not remember whatnot that in the previous storyline agatha and franklin uh, disappeared they 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 were kidnapped. Did we know they
1: were kidnapped at the time, or did no? We, 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 they, they're forcibly sort of disappeared and taken. I believe Sue and Alicia both see them like wrenched forcibly from the plane of existence before their very eyes. And so Sue and Alicia come up with this plan, which is okay. Let's go, but not tell anyone until it's an okay time to tell anyone because. Let's not. It'd be great if it literally was them being like, "Well, you know, men are so emotional." But uh, honestly, it's just so. Even in this issue, the it the one eighty four starts like pitch with, ten. Yeah. And and the first chunk really is, at one point, Ben picks up the phone. He's like, i got to call my baby doll. And there's Alicia there who's literally like, hey, everything's great. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, is everything okay, baby? You sound kind of weird. No, Ben, everything's fine. I'm just here playing with imaginary Franklin who's sleeping. <laughs> Which is an
0: amazing sequence to have. It sounds like Jeff is being facetious. But the actual dialogue is, oh, no. No, nothing's wrong. Why do you ask? Of course, darling, the little imp is asleep right now. The
1: little imp is dot, 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 asleep right now. The and little while she imp.
0: thinks, they are Sue Richards, I've done as you wanted, I only pray I've done the right thing, while the image is literally, from the point of view of Franklin's room, with yeah. an empty crib. Yeah, yeah, I mean – it's, it's so great. Yeah, there's so. But, much but that that happens on page three of the story, mm-hmm. and that there there is then another three pages of basically aftermath of the previous storyline, mm-hmm. where everyone's like, Phew, I'm glad we've defeated the villains. Let's clean up now." And Sue's like, "Oh, I've got something to tell you. Uh, our son's been kidnapped." Yeah, <laughs> I, I should probably should have told you before, but I didn't want to worry. You look like you needed a nap. Right, our son's been kidnapped.
1: Well, and and let's just give a moment of appreciation for, again, uh, one thing that that I had said at the time, and I'm really happy to see this uh, um, return, is that the Reed Richards of this era is so much less dickish than the Reed Richards of... Stanley and even the jerry conway era because oh, it's yes you know because normally you would get so much sanctimonious speechifying to find out that his was child that you know has been taken from him and blah 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 and this is literally he's just has a big whoa and then he's kind of like oh you guys better go on without me i i i'm i'm half a man now and she's like don't be silly. Put on this stupid costume.
0: Well, so. Also, can we talk about the great theme through, I mean, this is 184 and it runs all the way through, I think, 197,
1: mm-hmm.
0: about Reed's hilarious self-pity about not having his powers? Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of amazing that through the series up until this point, sure, Reed can stretch, but Reed has never only been the stretchy guy. You know, he's always been, and I'm inventive, and I'm bossy as shit. You know, I,
1: I, it's it's one of those things where I'm 95% sure uh, that that amazing website, the guy who planned, plotted out the Fantastic forest, the great American novel, uh, would actually say. The weird part of it is it literally makes no sense in all the stuff that, that runs through it. But the thing that I, I find really fascinating about this whole set of issues leading up to 200 – is... We've literally seen sort of the departure of evil Reed Richards. The, you know, your favorite character, the brute, has literally just flown into the negative zone. We've talked about how the negative zone is this weird Jungian shadow thing that represents Reed Richards himself, right? And so, even though it's never discussed in any sort of way, and believe me, these, the thing about Ween and Wolfman, one of their charms is they do not hesitate to land something on the nose when, when they need oh, it
0: Oh, not, to. not, not at all. Yeah.
1: They, they rush for it. And which I got to say, as a guy who was always a bit of a dim bulb, always appreciated on the nose storytelling Is you know, cause I'm like 11 or 12. It's like, Oh, this is really deep, but they don't mention this at all. But I do think that there's kind of a weird Reed Richards has lost his negative self. And kind of like in that, uh, that Star Trek episode where Captain Kirk split in two, he's, 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 he's neutered. He's impotent in this weird way that the powers are supposed to represent that again, makes no sense. But the whole idea of Reed Richards as confused meekish lamb, um, up until he, a he gets his powers back and b and i think this is more important the reestablishment of his true shadow self in the comic it is such a definitive statement in those issues um with the, with the villain which i suppose is not any kind of surprise for people i guess i, I could just go the return of doctor doom as reed's official shadow self uh kind of allows that sort of weird reunification and it's weird because it is these, these issues are so cobbled together that it doesn't, I I don't think that that's being done on any kind of conscious level, but I weirdly felt that it, it kind of works on an unconscious level all the way through this, which is kind of strange, you know? Do you think that they were aware of it? You know, I, I again part of me is like I don't think that they were that aware of it because because you have st- several pages in here that are so on the nose but I do think that there's a lot as as wolfman moves into his end run there's such a trumpeting of kind of the return to greatness kind of con- idea for the comic and for the issues and for Mr. Fantastic that it see it, it all seems to really work. I mean, it really does sort of seem strangely organic, but maybe it's just in the way that, that people are, are unconsciously, you know, that Wolfman and Ween, And even when you get mentlo in there, they're, they're kind of riffing on it. There is the awareness that Mr. Fantastic is the fantastic four. And, these issues go like this huge long way to saying like, yeah, if you don't have Mr. Fantastic, you don't have the fantastic four and the rest of them, everyone is kind of stymied by that weird acknowledgement Mm acknowledgement. And yet the weird thing is, is that, that they, the, the way that they went this way, maybe it's just because of the nature of superhero comics in 1978. Like, they couldn't have done like a Flowers for Algernon-ish type, like Reed Richards (laughs) has his powers, but he's like an idiot. Like that would have actually been a more accurate way to neuter him. But maybe it's just that it's just literally impossible for them to think that way. So, and I do have to say there is a little bit of, you know, as Reed himself points out, at the end of this storyline and the next storyline, part of why he disbands E.F.F. is he's like, "I'm a liability," and it seems really important that he even says like, "and I, like people have taken possession of me twice since I've lost my powers." So there's
0: spoilers, everyone.
1: Yeah, sorry. Oh, oops. So,
0: Oops! <laughs> I was literally in the middle of doing. Uh, yes, I know the, the recap, the yeah, yeah, yeah. and Sorry. then we totally got out of the way. Short version of 184: They go and try and uh, explore Agatha Harkness's house and are ambushed by things uh, by a robot, by well, a, a t- single by a robot. Cyborg.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, a cyborg. Uh, like that uh, makes any sense? Of course. Yeah,
0: because it, it really doesn't. Because the cyborg who ultimately uh, self-destructs is is somehow connected with the villain that is revealed in the next issue mm-hmm. who turns out to be entirely magical yeah why is the magical villain who spoilers is nicholas scratch <laughs> double spoilers turns out at the end of the storyline to be agatha harkness's son oh crap oh. we're going to go through this super quickly jen yeah I know. why he's why he's involved with the cyborg really who knows yeah uh but once we are done with the red herring that is 184 and we head into 185 186 where the fantastic four go to is it called new salem it's called new salem in colorado Colorado, Uh, uh, to to investigate where agatha has gone and find what first looks like a perfectly normal town but guess what it's an illusion because they're not just witches which is the the big reveal of 185, which is really funny because 185 is called "Here There Be Witches." The cover <laughs> says "Here There Be Witches," and the last page reveal is that they're witches. You know, the the what other that on the reveal, uh, there's
1: I mean, there's something, there's just something that is profoundly, pro, almost, I, I, and this is it. I know you're not a George Perez man, but I honestly think that Perez does so much work in here that honestly the ween is kind of kind of blowing it out his ass it could just be they're not on the same page as far as plotting goes because admittedly if it's being done in marvel style there's a very good chance that um i mean they literally have in in 185 a scene like they they're like the metal from the egg from the eliminator where he quote-unquote hatched this metal only came from this one area in Colorado and this one obscure town. That's got to be the place, which sounds ridiculous. They show up. Everything's like all creepy and weird. And they're like – and Reed Richards is like, oh, this is just a coincidence. Even though they're dealing with a bunch of – It's called New Salem. It's called New Salem. They're they're witch uh, babysitter, witch governess kidnapped mystically in front of one of their eyes. And they're just weirdly like, oh yeah, wow, this town's weird. No, it's not. Uh, it's kind of strange how the streets are all empty. It's a small town. Okay, let's go check and see what's going on. Oh, the records say that it could have gone there. We'll have to leave. They literally turn around and are leaving, and Agatha Harkness, who's watching them, is like, Ah, oh, I've got to do something weird with my eyes. i shit
0: on fire because they're going to leave because apparently they're all morons. Because now.
1: they're morons! The way the Len Wayne is scripting that is I'm just like what the fuck like it is so significantly half-assed and they're like
0: oh, oh okay i guess it's witches you know yeah exa- well again they don't even think it's witches they, they the fire comes up uh, right. ben blames johnny johnny i
1: know that's i it's they um, should have done that for like another six pages of, of her doing they, various things
0: then all the villagers turn into dudes in cloaks yeah. One of the dudes magically not only reveals that he has Agatha and Franklin, but he also has a, a large glowing staff. They attack him, and there are still another six pages to go yeah. before the last page reveal of we're witches.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: It is. Uh, it, it and yet despite this, it's fa- not fast moving. Sounds weird, but it's a fast read, I guess. Yeah. And it's completely enjoyable reads in large part because, I'm going to grant you, I think Perez is doing a lot of the hard lifting here and doing a lot of good work. Mm-hmm. And especially in 186, the Nets issue. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I like Salem 7 so much yeah. is I think Perez makes them look great. Yeah. They look ridiculous, but they look great ridiculous.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah,
0: And so... While I still think that Perez is, interestingly, moving more towards the Perez I'm familiar with from like Avengers and then later New Teen Titans, mm-hmm. and getting very away from the Kirby visual aesthetic. Like, mm-hmm. he's he's just, even with, uh, I think Sinet's still inking at this point. Yeah, Sinet is still inking. But yeah. even with that, just the layouts are so mm-hmm. very non-Kirby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that That it really seems visually very different. But, you know, in 185, Perez is doing great work with the the six-page fight Post the villagers revealing themselves in Cloak, where you get, you know, various shit happening, monsters appearing. Ben ends up fighting himself because he, he kind of gets possessed. Yes. You know, and all of that looks very exciting and very fast moving. Mm-hmm. And I will agree, Wien is very uh, footing in in 185. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, 186 as well. But I think he works stronger in 186. But he doesn't drag on the action scene. Do no. you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. It's still just the action moves quickly. Yeah. To the point where, sure, the 185 reveal that, oh, it's witches is, I mean, just ridiculous. Because mm-hmm. the story's called Here There Be Witches. Right. Well, you know. It, yeah. And you steal them. It's the most, it's the dumbest reveal in the world. Yeah. But. You know, it seems it's almost forgivable because the rest of it, especially up to that point, has been so fun.
1: I, I think I think you actually put your finger on something that's really important, Graham. Because yeah, although I, I really do think that this stuff is dumb. Like I said, chances are good that Perez plotted some of this stuff. And so, how do I put it? the The big thing is that Ween is actually not doing the stuff that Stanley would be doing, which is. Trying to overcorrect for the art. You know what I mean? It's you wouldn't you don't have the panel where the FF are driving off in the car and like you know, you've got like a dialogue balloon where Johnny's saying, like, Reed, is it time for us to sneak back into town yet? Yeah, and exactly, it's like, Kat. No, not yet. We've got to make them think that we've disappeared. Whoa, a wall of fire. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: like exactly. You don't have the 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 text basically pointing out the weirdness of the pacing or, or the, the plotting. Right. Which, you know, he, which
1: is something that even Thomas, in that sense, continues to undercut with his kind of acknowledgement, like kind of like, oh, we're aware this is kind of dumb, but bear with us. Like, you, Ween does e- e- commit to what is, you know, again, some visually exciting, but really kind of dumb comics. You know?
0: But that's but that's fine. No, I agree. I mean? and, I, I, and that's part that's part of what I really enjoyed about this. I was going to say three parter, but honestly, the last two parts, the first part with the cyborg, is just kind of weird filler. Like it doesn't seem to connect. You know with the, the earlier part for me at all. the
1: The thing that I think is interesting to me is is that weirdly that issue seems. I had a it. It seems like a real precursor. To the Mark Grunwald era, you know what I mean? Like it. It uh,
0: explain the Mark Grunwald era. Uh,
1: for me, I when we did our Avengers read through, one of the things that sort of struck me about the Grunwald edited Avengers when Roger Stern's writing it is there's a lot of putting shit back in the box. There's a lot of that, like. Things that don't make sense or even like, oh, the world's too extraordinary. So, like, there's that completely, you know, forgotten and aborted attempt to to destroy the Savage Land, for example. One of the things that I think is really interesting about uh, issue 184 is, is that it's like they go back to Whisper Hill, which is where Agatha Harkness has been. And they've been there a lot. And A, there's a ton of, this place looks spooky and creepy. Why didn't we notice it before? And Reed says something like, Agatha was probably making it look different. I think it's always looked like this. And and they're more or less saying, like, this is creepy and a mistake and it chills my spirit. And why the hell did we ever have this? And at the end of it, you have the, you have the eliminator slash exterminator, the pooperator, whatever he's called. At the end of it, he... He does engage his little self-destruction thing and wipe out the entire place, which, again, strikes me as very uh, Mark Grunwald, very much like this was a mistake. It shouldn't be there. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, you know. And so we don't really retcon. What we do is we destroy the stuff and we move on. You know, and so it really does feel like there's a very strong element there. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it's to kind of up the stakes of like, oh shit, maybe Agatha Harkness really is going to end up dying or something like that. But it it really did strike me as a very definitive. We're removing this piece from the table in a like I said that reminds me of what ends up happening in in certain aspects of Marvel
0: in the eighties. Do you say that in the sense of? And that's a good thing, or do you say that in the sense of like because part of me hearing that thinks that it's it goes too far no i, I, you know think, what I mean like yeah. like you you can just you, you can just ignore exactly the, the mistakes As supposed to actually have to go back and clean them up yeah
1: no I, I i agree I didn't it was one of the things that that uh rubbed me the wrong way because I'd missed so much of that that era of of Marvel I started drifting off during a good chunk of the the Marvel 80 stuff where Grunwald's very much in an in ascension as an editor. I I think I don't I don't I think it is too far. I think it is too much of a tidying up thing. I mean for example uh, a good count, c- counterpart comparison here is you have the Impossible Man who Thomas has introduced. He comes back I think in part because you can tell I think Perez really likes drawing him. He's a fun character clearly to draw, but he comes back for a couple of uh you know, a page here and a page there and then literally around issue 192 or 193, I really forget, he he's just, just
0: he's just
1: dismissed. He's yeah, he just disappears. He literally does something where he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm pissed at you guys. I tried to help you, and you're yelling at me. I'm going to go off and have fun somewhere else, and that will teach you a lesson. And in every other sort of issue of the FF up until that point, he's gone for a few issues, and then he comes back. And what's great is he just kind of doesn't, and I, it wasn't really until like one ninety I'm like, oh, right, yeah, he doesn't. He's, yeah, he's, he's he, I guess yeah. he's gone. Yeah, And <laughs> that's to me, that's so much better. Like Agatha Harkness at some point to turn around and be like, you know what, Franklin's a great kid. I feel like I've done all that I can and my home planet needs me, you know? And then boom. But so, yeah, no, the destruction of Whisper Hill, part of why it struck me is it, I was like, oh, this seems a little too much. It really doesn't seem like this is necessary. And who knows? It's, you know, maybe I'm wrong. And they were just like, no, we need to. we needed a way to introduce the idea of stakes. Cause let's face it, guys, Agatha Harkness and Franklin, we know nothing's going to really happen to them. Right. You know, kind of thing. So, and sure enough, the FF versus witches is, is, um, You know, if you didn't, if you didn't have some visual panache there, just, just, there's just all sorts of weird. Like, well, of course they're evil because they're witches, except they're not. We're overjudging them, except they're evil because they're witches. You know, they just it can't make up its mind. It's a, it's, it's, it's just, it's just a half-assed bunch
0: of half-assed story. Let's face it. But, but especially one eighty-six, I think, gets away with it through the charm of the visuals. Yeah, and you have Perez throwing. Everything at it. Mm-hmm. They're put in a medieval jail, yeah, and guarded by like a, a, a guy wearing chainmail for yeah. no immediate reason. Yeah, you know Nick Scratch, the old Devil McDevil himself, <laughs> has a has a great design where he has not two white streaks in his black hair, yeah. but four because he has two white streaks in his beard as well. Yeah, yeah, which is wonderful. He has a ridiculously over the top helmet and a massive throne. Yeah, but then when the FF do finally fight the witches, the witches turn into a fucking super team.
1: Yeah, the
0: the special guards,
1: the guards that are up in one uh floor that are wearing these sort of you know typical George Perez kind of tunicky and buccaneer boots thing, but then they papow themselves into Salem Seven. That really is you know George Perez. Bless his heart being like, ah, oh, yeah, these are the inhumans that I designed in my high school notebook. I yeah, can't wait exactly. to bring them back.
0: You know. Here, so here, here's a question I have about Salem 7. Mm-hmm. You may or may not know, and I'm sure you do, mm. that Kirby had created Satan 6 by this point.
1: Mm. Oh, right. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. would
0: later see publication in the 90s. It was That's essentially right. a, a discarded idea. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Salem 7 mm-hmm. is not based on that exactly, but like if. We knew about – or Perez, for that matter – knew about Satan 6. I, well, and there's some weird riff on it. I, I mean it – It, it, it feels very much like a, a Kirby riff. Not necessarily a riff on Satan 6, mm-hmm. but a Kirby riff in general because they genuinely do seem like the slightly funkier in humans. Yeah. I, I, Visually I, at least. Yeah. I, I
1: It may be that like it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if Perez – heard the name, like it was mentioned in passing somewhere or, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems, it, it, it kind of seems likely the timing seems, I think, right. Because I believe Satan six is around when Kirby's doing his shit for Ruby Spears around 78, you know, but I don't, I don't really know. Uh, it, It is a good question. I guess what I like about it though is, is that it is very much, um, Again, sort of like you point out with the 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 streaks in uh old you know Satan McDevil Pants's uh, beard is he? It's just Perez has that similar kind of Kirby almost overindulgence like the the love of the drawing the detail because the fetishistic detail in a way that that could very well be fetish so there is kind of that thing of like he's like yeah i've come up with like six characters seven characters and and the thing that's amazing is um i have a big
0: fight scene with them but it's it's frankly, it's all kind of disposable, you know. It's... Oh, it's it's amazing. I, I I genuinely do love Salem Seven in part because they are disposable. Yeah. I mean, their names are Bruticus, Y'all Hydron, yeah. Thorn with two ends. Yep. Vacuum, which yep. is V A K U M E. Yeah. Of course, Reptilla, who is the snake one. Gazelle, whose power is that she can kick. Yes. Uh huh. And Vertigo. I mean, we did not give. Even a minute's thought to oh, naming these.
1: He bits. didn't. I I really do hope that it was that Ween got to quote unquote name them, or you know, unless it was Perez was like, oh, this is awesome. But I mean, honestly, the thing that is amazing is is that you've got you've got the you've got all this fight scene stuff. They it, it gets resolved in a ridiculously half ass Deus Ex Machina thing where it's like these guys were it's just great i mean it's really like the the lee kirby like half-ass logic is back like these characters have these powers because they they were designed the spell that transformed us could work solely against the natural powers of the fantastic four by utilizing artificial means against us you've returned us to what we were and the idea is like they were using artificial means the whole time. It's All just along, once they yeah. realized
0: it, like, I'm like, huh? How does that, well, what? So. Two things. One, I had forgotten that Reed Richards is using his artificial stretchiness at this yeah. point. right. Genuinely just forgotten. Yeah. So in a way, that kind of worked for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I, I, when I gave it two thoughts, I was like, but wait. Also, I don't know if you were reading this on Marvel Unlimited or the G.A.T. core, but uh, there's a letter about this issue later on where someone takes them to task about this. Mm. And says that very thing. Says yeah, but they were always fighting them with artificial meat. Right. What happened? And the explanation is basically like they didn't understand. Like it's not a real thing. It's that they had to believe. Oh, sure. I agree. I get
1: that. That's. I mean, I, you instantly fill in that blank. Or knowing me, I probably read that letter back when I was twelve, and instantly I, put I, it I, in I, there. I it's. It. It's just. It's just more the idea that Ween's explanation is so bad. You know, all he literally had to do would be the spell was that we perceived, you know, just, just one word. It's, it doesn't make a lick of sense anyway, but I do love the fact that like, again, Perez is, and this, this, I think is something that you don't always see happen with a fantastic four. Like for example, Darkoth, the death demon, which, you know, uh, is, is a fine name to drop considering he pops up soon. Uh, is a classic example of a secondary character that the artist had created that he throws in there that more or less tries to take over the storyline or has to be in every scene and it doesn't make any sense. One of the things I love about the Salem Seven is Perez does, again, there's all this like design, they're cool, they're awesome, they fight the FF, and then they lose enough so that. Yeah, and they're gone, so that they're you can still five ha- pages. yeah, so you can still have the four-page wrap-up where someone's gotta where the Invisible Girl has to grab uh, Devil McDevil Pants's Satan staff.
0: I love the and, Satan and, staff. And when he does, uh, all the witches realize that he is he's evil because somehow they hadn't realized that before. Yeah, and they all hold hands and um, send him to hell with a Care Bear stare. I wish I was joking. I'm only joking about the Care Bear Stare part of it, and that's only because no one had invented the phrase Care Bear Stare.
1: That is true. That uh, is true. Uh, but it's pretty much what it is, yeah.
0: It, it's, it's almost exactly what it is. Oh. Um, and the end is everyone's reunited. Agatha decides that she's going to leave New Salem, which is good because New Salem disappears afterwards. I was about to say,
1: who leaves whom there is a little unclear, I think. You know, she's like, oh, it's a good thing that I left.
0: And they're like, we fucking left you, you know, whatever. Well, she, she, yeah, Yeah. she leaves first and then they're like, fuck it. We're just leaving Earth then.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Interestingly enough, that's going to be undone super soon. Like I said, Salem 7 and New Salem return really soon. They return like a year later in an annual. Um, Is it a Perez drawn annual? I think it is, yeah. It would make sense, of course. I I could be wrong. Uh, Anyway, and the the end of the issue is: Agatha's like, you might wonder what this three-parter was about. He was my son. I named my son Satan, like Satan Pants.
1: Well, I mean, it is that weird thing. Like, okay, so you, you named your son Nicholas Scratch. It's, haven't you ever read a book on magic ever? Like, wasn't it there any Scratch sort of thought? Scratch the greatest name, though. I, I, dude, I just think that it's, it, if you are a wizard-like person, you really need to veer away from that shit. You know what I mean? Like, ah, you know what I mean? Like whoever the traveling salesman was that she
0: slept with, whose like name was like, hey, is it though? I mean, I mean, uh... no. Because there's no way they would have said that in 1976.
1: Or whatever. Whoa! Uh, hello, you seem to have forgotten Dave, Damon Hellstrom, the son of yeah. Satan, who totally, sure. whose mom totally got banged up by Satan and is no, like, no, no, "I'm no, Satan and guess, I'm again. banging you," you know. That's <laughs> an actual that panel quote. Lines.
0: Yeah, yeah the first exactly. Line. No, but what I mean is, you wouldn't have a regular character say that who's meant to be good. I don't, I don't think in the I don't think they would have done that, to Agatha. Basically. I think it's just weird enough that you're kind of like – you know what I mean? I'm
1: like, who did Agatha have sex with? Like that's very there's, – there's something
0: that's a little – like of well, all heart, the ideas. Heart, I, he was my son. It really does raise the question of like, wait. Yeah. But who's dad? Who? Right. But exactly. But, the, but yeah. the, uh, after all, how could a woman hate her own son is literally the last line of the comic. Yeah. Yeah. There's no space to pull it up because we are then onto – the two-parter of 187 and 188. <laughs> I love Jeff. you so much, Graham. You're like, I'm
1: not discussing <laughs> this a second longer. It's nope. too fucking stupid.
0: Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. 187, 188. Trouble times two, exclamation point. And the rampage of Reed Richards, exclamation point. Here's the thing, Jeff. Mm-hmm. There is nothing about this 2 part storyline that is not a cliche. I fucking loved it. <laughs> I'm not joking. The shocking last page of 187, which is you can see coming a long time away.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah
0: loved. Yeah. I genuinely loved. It made me so happy. And what it is, which is the most ridiculous story. I also loved.
1: Yeah. Well, because again, there's a there's a lot to be said. There's there's some very weird uh, uh, for those at the risk of giving things away. The molecule man is at this stage of things, and I think most of us are uh, so keenly aware of the molecule man in a secret war, po- sort of post-secret yes. wars definition. This is—he's well, is, he's
0: like he's like the milk toast. He's—he's—he's he's, yeah. he's this gutless character.
1: Yeah, and here in this character, in, in this characterization, is very much. This this story really does tie very tightly into continuity of of comics that again I read as a kid. Kazar twenty where like Kazar manages to kick the shit out of Claw to everyone's surprise, and he ends in the Everglades swamp where Iron Man and Man Thing have just managed to beat uh, the Molecule Man, who is more or less a, a kind of a malevolent spirit. Inside his it, it wand, yeah. Yes. So, so whoever grabs the, the 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 wand of the Molecule Man, if they be so chumpish enough, you know. So, uh, so basically, Claw basically finds a punch drunk bum out on the Bowery, hands it to the dude. So the Molecule Man is like bald and has a, a really wicked jack o' lantern face, and is is really kind of evil. And also, interestingly enough. There's a lot of confusion as to whether or not he has the um the power to like cuz I definitely know there was the idea that the molecule man couldn't affect organic matter but now here he can and once again you get one of those situations where it's like him versus the impossible man who can also do something and that's all very well, fun
0: it's- it's the greatest. So this is basically where the the Impossible Man spends his yeah has has the most influence in these issues yep. because as Jeff said, he basically gets written out the book on a whim later. Yeah, he he has the most purpose in this two parter with the Molecule Man and Claw because the Molecule Man can't do anything to him because the Impossible Man can also control all of his molecules. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Which, Actually, I kind of loved because mm-hmm. no, it, it makes sense mm-hmm. that he can't do anything to a guy who's a shapeshifter. Yeah, because the shapeshifter's yeah. entire power is that he can control all these molecules. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, it's great, and even just sort of that idea of the molecule man fighting these two characters who are, you know, whose powers both revolve around either changing things or creating stuff out of nothing, and the molecule man's like. Dude, this is me. Like the fact that he beats Claw by being like, okay, I'm I'm not going to have ears now. You know, I'll just... There, you can't really do anything to me. So it's, you know, it's, it's surprisingly fun stuff. And then, of course, like an idiot, Reed Richards grabs the Molecule Man's staff and turns into scary jack-o'-lantern Reed Richards. Reed Molecule Richards,
0: Man. which... Which I, I genuinely love because, not again, not for the first time in these stories, this plot only works if Reed Richards is an idiot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Because, you know, Reed should know better mm-hmm. after having been told mm-hmm. that if you grab the Molecule Man's wand, you get possessed by the Molecule Man. Yeah. He should know better than grabbing the Molecule Man's wand.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think they even do something where I feel like they want to say something. They try and explain it, I thought, but maybe they didn't,
0: you know. Oh, well, anyway. Well, he he basically says, I think I'll take it to my chem lab for a thorough examination. And Sue is the one who's like, what?
1: Yeah, don't no. be an idiot. Yeah, but no, I feel like there was something where someone says, uh, like, oh, you know, the Molecule Man, like, extended his mental energy to influence Reed or some shit.
0: I, I, but I don't see I, that I, now. I not, yeah, I would not yeah. be surprised if it yeah. is that in, in 188. I love the art in 187, and I think as much as the the, the sheer dumb joy of the plotting of mm-hmm. 187. Mm-hmm. The art really sells it. The The splash page is almost perfect with the exception of the fact that George Perez and or Joe it clearly does not know what a child is and therefore just draws a small man. Oh, yeah. Draws as a small, as, as, as a miniature man. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to a child. Um, but, I mean, if you look at the splash page, just look at the Sue and look at the Reeds and look at the Johnny. Yeah. Those are those are so beautiful. Yeah. Also, and also, look at Agatha who looks really I
1: love Agatha. I love how much that woman is just staring ahead. Again, there's kind she of looks a so weird.
0: Crumpy, she crumpy and hunched, which I yeah.
1: genuinely love. Well, there is also, I think, something that I, I do really appreciate about these issues is uh this issue, and it may have been the last one, like they they were kind of doing a Perez and Senate. And in the previous issues, it was like storyteller and artists or something like that. They call them illustrators. And I really appreciate the fact that Sinnott really gets a bump up in the credits here, considering he is at this point, the guy who's given the FF, the majority of the consistency. He's outlasted everyone by, by so far. And it really is like, I don't know, again, there's just those ways in which he and Perez really work well together. And you get this, maybe, maybe there's stuff where it's like uh, Perez is leaving a lot of the facial expressions up to a Senate or not. I'm not entirely sure, but it just works really well. There's some just gorgeous looking panels. There's some great looking work. There's a scene where like when Reed bursts in with his like super gun, who's like a, a molecule man, you lay one perverted finger on my wife and my next shot will disintegrate. He looks badass. He looks really great, and it's very—it's a—it's a real continuation of, I feel like, what Sinet brought to the Fantastic Four. You know, interestingly enough, I do feel like as much as I love that one page of of that splash page, it sort of points to the one problem with with Synod, which is, it looks it it looks lovely. It looks great. It's also just kind of at the border of looking generic, you know, I, as, as much as I love it, I really do think that, um, I really do think that Senate goes from being the greatest strength that everyone relies on for so long to the point where he really does lay the foundation for why everyone acts and reacts so strongly to burn stuff, I think. But, you know,
0: I, I, I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super interesting to say that because to jump ahead significantly, I was reading an early burn Fantastic Four today. Mm-hmm. And I'd forgotten how weirdly ugly the book is.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's
0: very dynamic. Mm-hmm. But Sinet makes everything look pretty. Yeah. Sinet thinks are are genuinely beautiful in the same way that uh, Rumita uh, Senior's art is.
2: Mm-hmm. His, exactly. His yeah. They're
0: very clean, and everyone is very attractive. Mm-hmm. And Burns figures and and Burns characters are really kind of ugly, yeah. especially when Yanks himself. And it's it's it really is such a switch mm-hmm. from what you're used to. Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah. And I think that is one of those things. I think when we get into it, I'd be very curious, but I have a sneaking suspicion that one of the, one of the smartest things that Byrne has going on when he takes over the FF is kind of his awareness that Joe Sennett, who, you know, is sort of is part of the problem that attractiveness is, is part, like it's, it's, it's taken out all the, surprise out of the book and yeah. no matter what you're doing and and Burns aware that that that's that's the biggest most shocking thing that he can do and and he's completely right um yeah so it's oh you know it's so funny he like the impossible man walks off in in this issue in in the middle of 188 and uh and, I, and it it's, turns later. Exactly. And I'm like, oh, right. And then walks off again in practically an exact duplicate of the speech and posture, unless I just got confused and, and mistook this with that, but we'll have to see. So we have Reed Richards, Molecule Man. Oh no. What are we going to do? He's got the power of the Molecule Man, but they can't risk hurting Reed. Uh, Reed leaves them in like a sort of crazy death trap. He seals them in a cube of solid adamantium. Uh, which Johnny it's solid? Again, solid.
0: It, yeah, it's hollow, and it turns out also
1: doesn't have a bottom. It's true. I guess the word "solid" is very. Reed Richards, Molecule Man, is is he's he's a he's a corner cutter. Uh, then as the FF are like, oh, we've got to go after Reed. We've got to try and we have to stop him. Uh, and then suddenly the Watcher appears and. He appears only in times of desperate crisis, and he's still not talking to anyone, which is a great little thing that, that makes sense if you've read Steve Englehart's uh, Trial of the Watcher over in Captain Marvel, which nobody has, but everyone's stuck to in a in a sort of weird editorial fiat that somehow stuck in 70s Marvel. The Watcher shows up. Everyone knows that there's a big deal. Something big is happening here. Uh, But they have no idea what it is, do they? Mr. Jones, they hop onto another awesome piece of... um flying technology that looks like the Baxter building's plumbing has just had jets jammed into it. Reed Richards is fighting internally against the Molecule Man. The Molecule Man's like, stop fighting me or I'll fuck everyone up. I will turn this building into a giant colossus that still has people, like, clinging to the windows and it'll be crushing things and stamping on shit.
0: Well, there's still people fucking inside the building. Inside the building, exactly. They're in the windows
1: screaming. It's a great... Little, it's, I mean, it's, it's again, it's a fast image. It only takes two or three pages. It gets a full page panel, a full page splash. But again, it's this weird thing where Perez is kind of. That's the kind of shit that Kirby would have done. He would have taken yeah. something that was visually alarming and stunning and thrown it out there in three pages and then gotten rid of it. And that's exactly. And, and I think you're
0: right. I think stuff. for all that, I think Perez is stylistically miles away from Kirby. Exactly uh, at this point, And I think this is also why I like Salem Seven so much. Mm-hmm. He is doing the Kirby of here's an arresting image. It's done. Yeah. Let's like, move no, on to the, the next. Image, I'm going to work it into the ground for the rest of the issue. Yes. Yeah. Here is. Two pages later I'm done,
1: yep, yep, exactly, so we're back to the molecule man fighting the FF of which one of the FF is the impossible man who there is a great a great panel where he puts the hammer of Thor on his head, jumps at Reed Richards and being like, "Yes indeed, this is what I live for, fun, 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 and he looks he looks really deranged and dangerous, it's kind of excellent, I think the way that it's done, so of course. Sue protects Reed from getting his head flattened by, you know, the impossible man's, uh, hammer hand. And, uh, which makes sense because the impossible man literally has no idea of what, what's the word the consequences of his actions. Yeah. Uh, so you get one of these big mega fights, how is this going to happen? And, and I have to say that of all the fights of like, oh, you can't actually harm him because he's our best buddy. It's it's not as dull as all of that. There actually is a lot of smashing and crushing and punching um to make it all pretty worthwhile. Yeah,
0: and it it is very again visually dynamic. Uh mm-hmm. it reminds me of the overmind story. hmm Where where Reed got possessed mm-hmm. there as well. God, I forgot that. Uh, yeah. But it's so much more fun because again, it's just faster. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really do appreciate about the, the ween run. For all that we're like, ah, it's kind of dumb, and he's underwriting, and and Perez is is the the main force, mm-hmm. is that it doesn't hang about.
1: No, no, it you know, really it doesn't. really is
0: yeah. like here's here's the story, we're done. Here's the story, we're done.
1: Yeah, no, these two things, especially following on the heels of, um, you know, of here, you know, a, a writer doing basically getting through three storylines, and then they're out. Uh, but it takes them like a year and a half or two years to do it, it feels exactly. like Ween gets his three stories in and out in in the course of maybe six or seven issues, really. Tough to tell because at a certain point, he's plotting and you've got Mentlo uh, scripting. Anyway, it turns out that the big event that the Watchers, therefore, is not the fight with the Molecule Man, but rather what follows transpires afterwards, which is Reed Richards being like... uh fuck it. Oh, which is great. At the end, he's like, though he thought he could control all molecules, he couldn't affect the unstable molecules your costumes are composed of and the resultant energy feedback virtually short-circuited him, which is a great little, like, faux scientific, you know, incontinuity thing. I'm like, oh, that that's totally awesome. I'm like, but why was he able to change Reed's outfit into the Molecule Man outfit and not have that be a problem at all? Like, again, it's just... Really loopy and dumb. Anyway. But again, move so
0: quickly that you're like,
1: sure. Sure, why not? Exactly. Uh, Reed says, I know precisely what I'm saying, Darlene. Effective immediately, I'm resigning from the Fantastic Four. Since I've lost my stretching powers, I've become a a pawn of two different super foes. I can't let you continue risking your lives because of me, and I can't keep on being a fifth wheel. Uh, And he leaves, and then basically everyone's like, well, I guess we're we're not a team anymore, because Sue is like, yeah, I'm not going to desert my husband. I'll be damned if I do it again, which is awesome because of what happens next. But
0: uh, (laughs) yeah. But she's not deserting him next, Jeff. That's the important thing.
1: No, it's true. It is is one of the things that is nice is, despite all the other stuff that goes on in these issues, because this is FF 2.0, people aren't melodramatic dicks. There's People actually act kind of like adults or at least the yeah, it, 1977 it's, it's Marvel Comics version of adults. Yeah, it is.
0: So so 187 and 188 are a relatively fast-moving romp that mm-hmm. ends with the team kind of falling apart and not in the melodramatic, is this the end of the Fantastic Four way? Yeah. But in the read leaves and everyone's like, oh, I, I don't know what we're doing now. Yeah. Uh, the problem is that... The momentum, which would exist there, then gets fucking killed by the fact that the next issue is a reprint. Of oh, Fantastic four, uh, it gets double uh,
1: killed, really, if and you then think about it. the following issue mm-hmm.
0: is the most fill-in of a fill-in issue I think I've ever read. Uh, one, so 189 is a reprint of Fantastic Four, 190 yeah. on the cover, which is by Kirby. Uh, an all-new album issue, it says. It's called The Way It Was. It's by Marvel Wolfman. Mm-hmm. and Sal and it is with
1: a, Tony Di Zanica finishes I just want to mention oh, yeah. that cuz there's it, points it, where it's, should, it's like it
0: this should be is... out, it's an astonishingly ugly comic yeah. and also an astonishingly unsabushima comic yes i mean cuz cuz he only does layheads. it is it's it's a it's a recap of the, the previous 188 issues of the comic.
1: Well, and so this is one of the things I think is fascinating is is that it, it uh, looking through the GIT issues later, there's like a little piece. There's a letter column about this issue, and it's great. Because the the it starts with, uh, the album issue was received with a wide variety of responses <laughs> from genuine appreciation to outrage, and they only run two letters. Both of those letters are ridiculously angry, and it's followed up by Marv Wolfman being like, hey, I was just doing what I was told. He literally... Does it is the whiniest, weirdest, like it's an inventory issue is supposed to take place anytime. I didn't want to do it, but I stood up and I took a check because that's what professionals do. And the weird thing is, is I don't even think that I agree with that because, and I could be wrong. This, 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 this album issue that really does recap all the stuff that is to come. Uh well I'm sorry. All the stuff that is to happen like it's it it starts getting weirdly selective in the issues that it covers. Uh yeah, and I yeah,
0: it's kind of hilarious.
1: Yeah, and and part of it I think really is a to make sure that, you know, it really actually it only goes up about as far as issue the end of issue 130 and then the things like ah fuck it. You know, it's like, who cares what happens after that? But what I think is interesting is reading it now, I was like, oh, this totally hangs a lampshade on the shit that Wolfman is going to be bringing up in in his set of stories. You know, there's a lot of, there's an emphasis on, like, just the fact that they bring back the Submariner and then... It's Doom, and then the fact that they call out this whole thing with, like, Submariner owning a Hollywood studio, which is a weird little thing, except it totally comes up in these issues. The whole idea of, like, uh, the thing ripping out, like, wrecking Doom's hands, and then and then uh, Reed saying... By defeating him so conclusively you've broken his pride, it's the worst defeat he's he's he could have suffered. You've shadowed his ego shattered it shattered his ego, Ben. I uh, is very much, I think, kind of a little bit of the key to the characterization that Wolfman's going to be using when Doctor Doom reappears. You know?
0: But yeah, but there's also stuff in there that doesn't directly key into what follows. For example, no, he, he recaps this man's monster. He recaps the Frightful Four and he recaps yeah. uh, Franklin's uh, be, Franklin being <laughs> essentially killed by his father. It's so very strange.
1: Yeah, it is strange. And I, and I don't know if part of that is like the red herring stuff or the idea that it's to, you know, that it ends with the Fantastic Four breaking up in a way that was for the time sort of quasi, I mean, he mentioned several of the breakups in here. Um, And I think that it's, I think there's a little bit of the, yeah, I'm setting the groundwork for for what is to come, but I'm making sure that you're aware of what's happened in case you've missed it, in part so that you can understand of how it's different. Like, he ends it with the end of the Fantastic Four, you know, the Conway stuff, in which everything is bitter and acrimonious, and everyone is kind of, sort of it's super melodramatic and the issue that follows for no more by, by Ween and again, Perez and, and Sinnott, uh is a very sort of quiet character driven issue, you know, up until the the prerequisite bad guy punching that has a lot of people kind of being like, Oh, what the fuck am I going to do? And he even does the whole fake out of like, yes, we're all back together. And then it ends with them being like, no, it's not.
0: So, yeah. So, okay. So 190, I think we can agree, is like this weird misfire of an issue. And 191, which you're talking about, is, first of all, by Ween and present Senate again. Obviously, yeah. the issue that has been delayed for two months. That's right. But reading it as a, like I said, I read all these issues in one sitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this issue follows on so well from one eight eight. Yes, it's true. That I can only imagine how frustrating it was for the readers of the time who had waited two months for this. Yeah, I agree. because because, as you say, it really does a great fake out of we're not really breaking up. oh, but I guess we are. Mm-hmm. that speaks to the um the lack of melodrama of it. Mm-hmm. the 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 inevitability, but also, by doing the fake-out,
1: mm-hmm. it
0: seems to feel more real.
1: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, absolutely.
0: And also the fact that the team then does not really get back together for some time after this.
1: Oh, one of really, the things really that's really, really charming, yeah, is that the way that these issues, act, the next three or four four issues, I guess, three issues in particular, are basically the characters – uh each of the characters in their own little adventure. I guess it's a I'm yeah, sorry. It's a little story. Yeah, exactly. It's four issues because Ben's is a two parter, of course. So uh yeah, I'm kinda into it. I, w I you're right. One nine the one eighty eight nine and one ninety is 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 very brutal in that sense. But of course for us where you just kind of skip over one, you read through the other and being like, wow, Tony Di Zuniga, there's a guy who doesn't understand how to draw the thing.
0: We've talked before about Zinitz being like the, the, the continuity here. Yeah. But it's really obvious when you see like Tony Dizaniga, or you see Pablo Marcos very oh, soon as well. Yes,
1: absolutely. In fact, one of the things that works so well is the, is after this – well, we'll get there. But, yeah, so this is you – in case you're wondering, I thought – I actually enjoyed the fact that Agent Parnival of S.H.I.E.L.D. ends up being Kevin Parnival – Lord Parnival Plunder, the Plunderer, which, I mean, apart from the fact that he's so good, so – I do love Parnival Plunder, the Plunderer, but – But it is that great. Like I'm like, oh, Parnival, that's a good name. He's even got the mustache, and I didn't see it coming, and I'm one of those people who actually remembers the Plunderer. So I was like, oh, gee, I was – you guys – it was right in front of me the whole time. So,
0: But but what is also great about this is, talking about fake-outs, 191 actually refutes the idea that Reed is useless without his powers. Yeah. Because Reed is the one who realizes that something is going on with everyone that is packing up the Baxter building. Yeah. He is the one who fights back and ultimately defeats Carnival Plunder
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: with with a well placed punch. Yeah, and yet you then get to the end of the issue, and he's like, "No, you guys, I still can't be a superhero." Right, and which which really does again feel like it's doubling down on the no, no, this counts.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and and it works in that regard. I just it it totally does sort of. The whole failsafe thing again—it all falls down to Reed, but but it's it's also a weird little the the trope of the villains invading the the Baxter Building and getting a hold of Reed's weaponry. I think the other that's such a such a staple of the FF, and to see it done here is done in it's done in a really intelligent way because it's like oh we're packing up all of his stuff, he hits the failsafe switch. It's useless. And then it literally ends with them putting up the rental sign on the top five floors of the Baxter building. And it's uh, it it really is one of those ways where there's there is a little bit of thinking of what our expectations are and sort of how to how to how to fuck with those a little bit.
0: Oh, yeah, because it really does play into the expectations. Mm-hmm. You, you've read so many stories where, is this the end of Fantastic Four? No, they'll realize they're a family. Right. And, they do, and the characters even acknowledge that in this issue. Mm-hmm. When they see Reed launch the, the Fantastic Four flare. all three of them are like, oh, great, he's come to his senses. Exactly. You know, the characters feel the way the reader feels. And then to end the story with, no, but they still have to break up. It's mm-hmm. such a great moment. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. It is. It's it's very well executed. And again, in a story that, um, you know, it 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 does a great job of giving you exactly what you sort of want and subverting it at the same time. So it's yeah, it's, yeah enjoyable. Uh, should we move on to "He Who Soweth the Wind," the Johnny Storm solo issue?
0: Yes, let's. I, it's called "He Who Soweth the Wind." Or in the cover. Lo the screaming wind. <laughs> Both of those titles. Amazing. We are by this point into the era where Len Wein is kind of leaving the book. Yeah. Uh Roger Sleefer is the guest scriptor and this we only applauds it. Uh Perez and it's still around for the art and it's still looking great. Yeah. It's I, it's I still a really, really fun and uh, fast moving story with, with Perez and maybe Synet helping with the pacing. Uh but it's 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 just great. One of the things I love about it mm-hmm. is on page five of the story, Johnny leaps out of the way of a car. It's about to run him over and you see that either president thinks that cars are very small.
1: <laughs> well, let's – okay. Let's face it. Clearly someone, maybe both of them, is is having trouble with scale. It does It does tend to come up in these issues a little bit, but – I don't know, for for someone like me who's not well-connected to reality visually anyway, it works for me. I mean, I actually love, again, just in terms of the little storytelling pacing, what I love is on the third page, you have a guy with an obnoxious cowboy hat and crazy hair being like, staring at Johnny and... Um,
0: and thinking in an accent.
1: Yeah, which is great. Wow, that was real night, nice, right? nice of you, Mr. Storm, to put on a show for them there, young'uns. Of course, taint nothing like the spectacle they're going to see tomorrow. Yes, siree, they're going to be treated to a mighty fine showdown before you end up face down in the desert. <coughs> and what I love is, again, while reading this issue, I read it way back when, I somehow didn't notice there's actually three people in the story that 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 person could have been, like they really go to great lengths to make sure that there's, three people with like cowboy hats, bushy hair and spectacles and it also helps that they miscolor the guy's hair. So
0: Exactly, they really do at this point he has white hair, which yeah. he does not have later. So, yeah. Spoiler. Yeah.
1: Which I think is one Although, of those great Led, things.
0: Yeah. Let's give him the benefit of Maybe he's in disguise.
1: Maybe he is, but it is it, I, I was kind of like, oh, it's kind of fun how much that red herring to me sort of works because it's like, oh, you think it's that guy? Oh, you think it's that guy? Meanwhile we get what everyone wants or at least I do which is johnny storm in an episode of speed racer for the rest of the story (laughs) and on top of which he's also racing against
0: uh, rebecca rainbow
1: rebecca rainbow who is awesome i i totally like her she's great also uh yeah so i i don't really know what to say oh there's a great thing actually i love where there's a page where you see reed and sue hanging out um and they say that they're sort of going to be together in, and. and And basically what I love is Sue's like, I don't understand it, darling. There must be hundreds of jobs listed, which would be child's play for someone of your intellectual genius. He's like, that's the problem, Sue. I'm overqualified for all of them. If I took any of these jobs? I'd quit in a week out of boredom. I've got to find a job that will challenge, be a challenge to me where I'm allowed to put my inventive talent for inventives to work then. And a guy knocks on the door and says like, I'm Arthur Thornhill. It has come to my employer's attention that you'll be uh, having an undue amount of Time on your hands for the foreseeable future, is that correct? He feels you would be an invaluable asset to your corporation he 's willing to pay you a starting salary of twenty thousand dollars per week. May I tell him your reply is an affirmative one, and I just love the fact that Reed is literally saying i 'm overqualified i 'd be bored, and this guy does not even say what the job is is like it 's twenty thousand dollars a week and you 're like reed's like i 'm in i 'm so in it 's like it won 't be much of a challenge i 'll take it i 'm in it. Give it to me.
0: It's- it's so great for me because it's uh, it's so coincidental. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, if only I could find a job. This man's offering me a job, but you're right. The, the fact that this guy shows up and it's just like I have a job, and he's like, "Yup, <laughs> I, I, sure, I sure I'll take the job." And it's not the reading that's supposed to be there. Yeah, but the reading of Reed's lying because he's been turned down for all these other jobs. Oh, see, and, I, do, I do like, would you like a job? He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: job. Great. That is so funny. I saw it the other way, which is very much this idea of, of her being like, did you want a good job? And, and Reed is like, fucking, I'm not working for this kind of wage. Fuck no. So when the guy's like $20,000 a week, Reed's like sold. Like he doesn't care what the fuck it is. Like in true. And I feel like this is a true uh, reflection of the inside of a Marvel freelancer's head in the idea of 1978 is, is like, they're talking about how like they need a job that challenges. Them, But in Len Wein's mind, he's like, or Roger Slifer's mind is like, all you need is $20,000 a week and you will take any job. It does not matter what it is. In fact, what's so great is Reed is so anxious to take this job that by the time we actually see him doing it, he's he's actually getting paid less. Like, I don't know if you noticed that, but Reed clearly (laughs) is such a terrible negotiator. It's $20,000 a week here as a starting salary. And later when Reed's like hanging out in the laboratory being like, This is an awesome job. I'm getting paid a thousand dollars a day. I'm like, Reed Richards, you got boned, man. I don't know if you can do math <laughs>
0: I love the idea that Reed actually talks. Twenty thousand a week isn't enough. What about a thousand a day? They're <laughs> like, sure, we we can do that. Reed. I don't
1: are, know. I'm gonna have sure? to go back to my boss. It's like, yeah, thousand dollars a day. No, wait, let me think about this. Exactly. Twenty dollars an, an hour. Twenty dollars <laughs> an
0: hour. I would do for less than a thousand dollars a day. I'm there like. How long do you think a week? Are you getting a week and a month next time? Seriously, <laughs> what's happening with you, Reed? Come on,
1: think about it here. But no, Reed's like, I'm all over it. I'm all over it. So, I got this,
0: Sue. It's Susan in the background going, Reed, Reed, I've got to talk to you. <laughs> Reed, Reed, don't, don't say anything else.
1: Reed. Yeah, yeah, no shit. So, uh, yeah, so that I love that little page because of.
0: I actually in, in 192, I really enjoy the Ben interlude as well. Where he's he's getting he's being frustrated he gets a, a ticking oh, package I do love that uh, yeah and he immediately throws in the sink because he thinks it's a bomb and it turns out it's the Yankee yeah the Yankee Street Gang who've given him a retirement watch
1: that's right they're like all kidding aside we're gonna miss you you big ape the gang and it actually has it Ben's actually got little tears in his eyes and it's like I hate to say it but I think I'm even gonna miss them yahoos it's it it does if the moment plays perfectly. It really does. It's such it's such a nice little payoff, and again, just kind of this weird idea that like, yeah, this is maybe this is really going to stick. You know, we we got our little moment, just like the moment where Willie Lumpkin shows up and is like, oh, uh, maybe you guys can stick together. I can wiggle my ears. That's a power. Which again, like pure cheese, but of such a lovely kind of. I was like, ah. Well, Yeah, in. right.
0: It's it's there's something really comforting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like there there's there's a weird atmosphere to these issues.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. that that works and shouldn't work,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but
0: really does. Yeah, they, they're they're tonally wonderful, and they they are. If it is the the cover band that we keep talking about, they're a great cover band.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, it really is, and and part of that is is yeah that there is the knowingness is gone, but there's a lot of the attempts, the the sort of goodwill that Thomas brought to it, um, without, and it just is yeah, it really does embrace it, and it really does end up working. And part of it is the idea that they know they're doing a long game, like. You know, they can get those they, moments. they
0: really are. Yeah, they like, really this are. this is 192. Yeah. This story is not going to end until 200.
1: That's right. That is totally the case. And they, you know, so they're, it really, they they make it work. Uh, the fight
0: scenes between the Texas Twister and the Human Torch are... Oh, we should say it's the Texas Twister who is the guy with the, the cliched thoughts. Yeah. Yep. You, you remember the Texas Twister from auditioning for the Frightful Four. Yeah. He's back. Mm-hmm. You don't really learn that much more about him. But I was weirdly happy to see him back anyway. In, and this also touches on what happens in the next issue as well. There's a sense that Ween and the many, many different people who are scripting these issues are not only doing shout-outs to characters who have been before, but weirdly tying up loose ends
2: at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I
1: you know, it's funny you mention that because I do think that there's uh, – I, I only sort of assume that because Perez – Because, again, the Texas Twister is the most minor character in the world. But what I kind of love about George Perez is that is not going to prevent him from over-designing the shit out of this guy's uh, outfit. Like, George Perez, the guy who is literally going to create a superhero called the Jack of Hearts... In a costume that is so ugly and ridiculously difficult to draw everyone it, it
0: It is the most overly rendered costume in the fucking world.
1: Yeah, it is amazing. Looking at Texas Twister, who basically has twin tees over each of his nipples, like Cap, what looks like Captain Marvel's Nega bands, uh, like four main colors in his outfit, buccaneer boots, like a, a cowboy hat, a 10-gallon thing, you know, the Lone Ranger mask— you know, and a mustache and crazy sideburns, like, like Burns, like, no, this guy, this guy's great. Even though a good chunk of the issue, you know, at one point, the more interesting part is where Wyatt Wingfoot and, and the Texas twister are just going to be punching each other. Like it's, it's just a, it's, it's, it's a totally disposable little issue that is, that is fun. And like you said, the the subplot pages actually make it feel like you're still reading one sort of continuing story. So,
0: I, And the last thing I'm going to say about this issue before we move on to 193 is there's something about the team splits up, Johnny goes off to race cars, feels really old school Fantastic Four. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's wonderfully, true. authentically Lee Kirby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, as does... When you see what Sue's getting up to, yeah, and oh, in fact yeah. that is that, that is a, you know almost a shout out to to the old stories,
1: yes, very um, much so.
0: So, okay. So one ninety three and one ninety four are two parter, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and and they bring back Darkoth, the death demon, yeah, because there's a character everyone thought we'd see again. <laughs> you know, also it, we don't just see him again; we get his origin.
1: We get his origin, and it makes no sense compared to his previous ex- appearance like it really it it just doesn't it it it's an amazing little bit of retconning it's a very fun little thing that i actually was so confused by it because it seems so a fait accompli that I was like, wait a minute. Like when we see Darkoth and his original appearance by Jerry Conway and uh, uh, Rich Buckler, and I think it's FF 142 and 143, maybe it's 141 through 143. We finally learn his origin at that one is, is that he's a crony of Dr. Dooms who's been changed into a cyborg and brainwashed into thinking that he is He's a demon. Yeah, he's like a Letvarian death demon. And the the whole thing is is like once again Doctor Doom's like machinations come back to backfire on him because uh even though he goes on to do all he does all this stuff and then reveals the truth to, to the brainwashed guy who goes on to more or less reject it and be like, No, fuck you, I am the death demon and I'm going to kill you. Here we find out that the most convoluted building onto that concept is that uh, Darkoth is in fact Ben Grimm's old best friend, which, again, honestly, kind of works. I
0: think. Uh, I it, think it works as well as the original. Let's be honest. Yeah.
1: Oh well, it works better because honestly, they weren't. <laughs> Rich Buckler wasn't plotting it by the seat of his pants. So. It's Keith Pollard and Joe Sinnott in part one is the artist. It is uh Keith Pollard and Dave Hunt in part two. Part one's called Day of the Death Demon. 194 is called Vengeance Is Mine. Uh and Graham, I'll let you recap them because I don't know, you're just better at this sort of thing.
0: <laughs> I was honestly going to just be like, Dark Earth comes back, he's been brought back by Diablo. It turns out he's Ben Grimm's uh, old school best friend trying to talk Ben out of piloting a NASA space shuttle that uh, – I have to admit I cannot remember why Diablo wants to fuck with the space shuttle, but he does. What right. What is the reason? Uh, the, the, yes. I genuinely don't remember.
1: Uh, the The reason is absurdly convoluted. What happens is Diablo has found out that – uh, oh, basically, also, it's
0: not a space shuttle. It's the solar shuttle. It's the
1: solar that. shuttle. It looks like the space shuttle. It's called the solar shuttle. What happens is is that Diablo has found Darkoth, saved him, and is more or less like, "Hey, you and I we're gonna we're gonna defeat Doom." Doom, it turns out, uh has create what more or less had his men create the sol- to create the US solar shuttle. There there's a weird look Le- Jean Lacare light uh novel going around in the untold exposition here where essentially uh the Darkoth's former actual identity as Desmond Pitt he was recruited by Doom to actually help Uh, sneak the weirdo fake plans into the space shuttle that would allow Doom the ability to leech all the power the solar shuttle is going to collect. Pitt played double agent. Doom found out, caught it, mind wiped him, turned him into Darkoth. Then all that other stuff happened. After Darkoth did not die and was revived by Diablo, he knows who he is now, but he and Diablo are tied at first, it seems, by their mutual hatred of Doctor Doom, but later it seems that...
0: But it's revealed that Diablo is basically forcing Darkos' uh, loyalty in order to keep him alive. There's a formula that he has to drink.
1: that he has to take every so often or else he he will not live. And meanwhile, Diablo is using the built-in... Uh, sneak around that that Doom has put into the space shuttle to use to siphon all that power that the solar shuttle is going to be collecting. Uh, and then is, is piloting. Well, Diablo, it's it's very it's that's the way that Diablo pitches uh, pitches it to Darkoth. But then later you get the sense. He's more or less saying, like, yeah, I don't. I was saying that to kind of make you go along with it. The fact of the matter is, I, I think
0: I'm, uh, I'm. Just, I just want to Yeah, of
1: I just, I just want the incredible power that's in this.
0: Uh, and I, uh, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. And anyway, to get back to the the act of plot, Ben does pilot the solar shuttle. It crashes on the reentry. It was originally going to. Be stuck in in space and deal and with Diablo controlling it. He uh, forces it into re-entry. It crashes. Everyone thinks Ben is dead for basically for the length of the cliffhanger between one ninety three and one ninety four. Yeah. He comes back. Ben has a showdown with Desmond, and in the the end of the showdown, Darkoth once again dies mm-hmm. because why bring a character back if you can't kill him again the next issue? But not before he turns on Diablo. And in doing so, convinces Ben that he is indeed his former best friend. The thing that I
1: actually really like about this, is that I think is actually kind of funny, but also sort of works, is really early on in one ninety three. One ninety three, even though it opens with Darkoth and Ben punching one another out, that's that's done in a couple of pages almost immediately. Uh, ben sitting or, you know is brooding. Uh, unable to sleep, smoking a cigar, and he gets a phone call from Desmond Pitt who's like, Ben, listen to me, please. You must trust me. This is Desmond Pitt. Remember Desmond? And thinks, slams down this phone, crushing it and says like Desmond Pitt was a friend of mine and he's dead. One of the things that I really – Time for a
0: flashback.
1: Like, yeah. It gets a flashback in one of the things that it really ha- works well in issue one ninety four, and and honestly makes this this really sped through kind of you know double issue again almost seeming like a fill in kind of deal is the fact that Darkoth so is Mantlo does a great job of setting up real early on this idea that 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 Desmond Pitt is trying to reach out to Ben and Ben being Ben Grimm is too dense to catch on. Like literally at points, Darkoth is trying to tell him like, please, you know, Friendship, you know, this is. Uh, have I not already proven that survival is more important to me than friendship? And Ben's just not getting it. It's like you've got that. Di- you literally have him saying, "Like, look into my eyes, Ben Grimm. Can you see in them the truth, which Diablo's potion forbids me from uttering with my lips? You know me, thing. I am Desmer. I'm Dire. And of course, Ben's like, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. I'm just gonna Yeah, go
0: You're Desmer. Yeah, I, I don't get it. <laughs> <He does>. Des- <laughs> have you read? And or watched uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell? Uh, no, I have not. Uh, then never mind. I was going to make a reference to something very similar that happens in that story. Oh, really? There is a. There are actually two characters who are bewitched and could give away the entire plot to the other characters, but they are not allowed to say it. Which and is so great, because like, that's when a... They try. Uh, yeah. They... When they try and say it. Like, things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, in, in Jonathan Strange, it's, it's basically they talk gobbledygook
1: that's like th- th- really interesting that they have that, that Strange and Norrell which I know is this the you know very successful book by what's her name the fact that the fact that you've got a character named Strange and that is also if you think about it kind of the the plot spin on Doctor Strange's origin too you know i don't know i guess the whole magical enchantment so that you can't speak something's just kind of you know
0: it's, it's a, a thing. thing. But it, it, yeah. it's it's very funny when you were like, I'm Desmerg. I was like, oh, shit. Because I just watched it at, on Netflix the other week. Mm. I, I was like, oh, shit. It, it's it's and Mr. Narl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I
1: actually – I really did. I kind of felt for the guy and I realized how much between Darkoth's appearances <laughs> – relatively early on in like, you know, the 30s. And I, does he come back in the 150s? And then he's back here. I was like, oh, he's a no, much. I, I,
0: I think he's only appeared once before.
1: Yeah, I think he I, only appears yeah. once. Between this appearance and the other appearance, which I had as a kid, he's such a weirdly substantial character in my mind. Also, this is going to be really a weird question, but is is Keith Pollard
0: black? I have no idea. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look up on the internet and the internet will say black, but um, I've just found an image of him. So that answers the question. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I, I kind of wondered about it and it, it's one of the things that I actually, that's the other thing that I sort of like about this is a, even though it's a, again, this retcon, the idea that Ben Grimm has this black best friend. Uh, and also this weird, um, you know, there was that really amazing essay on the internet and I really hate to do this to you cause it means one of us has to look it up for the show notes, uh, that talked about, which
0: will make me, cause I'm the one who does the show notes for this.
1: I know exactly. I'm hoping I'll find it, but essentially it, it was, it was a, a black writer talking about how much they hated the character of cyborg and and that uh, one of the things that they hated about Cyborg, the character who ends up in in Marv Wolfman and George Perez's Teen Titans, and how much that character is kind of a—it's um, all the things that they don't like about what so frequently happens with in black men in in comic books, black characters, and it has a lot to do with their essentially their bodies are transformed into monsters. And they are turned into um, they're turned into monsters. There's usually a mix of technology and there's literally uh, just a whole jam of stereotypes. And I'm fascinated. I would love to re- if I've if been on the game enough, but I didn't because of course I was reading these issues as always at like the last minute of looking at the way in which Darkoth in this version of the origin both manages to fulfill and avoid some of those ideas of you know the the black man as transformed monster and also as a little bit of but untrustworthy betrayer figure uh and yet in these issues in 193 and 194 he is given a lot more um Well, I mean, you know, you sort of get degrees of pathos with that in Cyborg as well, which is something why uh, the the writers, I recall, again, has absolutely no patience with him. He's just he thinks Cyborg's just a a terrible character. And that is something that I know that David Walker said that he was going to address when he took over the book. And, of course, I I didn't follow it. And because we don't have DC Unlimited, probably we'll never read those issues. But I'm fascinated. And also the way in which... As Pollard is drawing this stuff, he you really can see the man underneath the face. There's lots of close-ups of Darkoth's face when he's fighting Ben. Because, of course, he's like, Ben, look at me. And and looking at the way that Pollard draws that face, it's drawn with a, just a lot of compassion and sympathy and interest in this character. So... It it I think there's something where there's I don't know if it's like a you know personal note for Pollard. In fact, you I, I have literally no idea. This is me as always talking out my butt. But it does feel like there's a little bit of a um, a connection or an awareness that he wants to do something with this character, make this character matter, and or say something about it. That kind of transcends the kind of like you know perfunctory. Oh, here's this character. and Now he's dead again. Kind of
0: well, Bill but Malo's also story. here's this character. I know he has a. Uh, I mean, it's a fairly lazy Raycon, Let's be honest. Yeah,
1: no, uh, agreed. I mean, it's it's just a convoluted one. It's just something. What I think is interesting is is that it it is it's a way to give the story some stakes, which I think is. Uh, which it was also kind of the way they tried to do it with dark arts first appearance. And it didn't really come off cause it's that half assed. So in a way it's almost like a do over. And like you said, at at the scripting level, it's kind of a lazy do over, but at, at the level of, I don't know, just the degree of what I was seeing. And it's not so much, you know, part of what tipped me to it was the fact that when it's Keith Pollard and Joe Sinnet, like, of course it looks lovely when it's, Keith Pollard and Dave Hunt, um, you know the art no, is not a, so much. Yeah, exactly. It looks pretty awkward, but if you look at the to me the degree of um, facial stuff going on with Darkoff as the issue goes on, it's lots and lots of close ups, and those, and those close ups are uh, to me anyway for for you know a non sinetless issue really, really um rendered. Like there's a lot of there's a lot going on there. So to me anyway. It,
0: it's interesting because for me the lack of synod mm. uh in these issues and and even more so in one ninety five when, when uh Pablo Marcos oh yeah d- does finishes um makes the book seem so much worse. It I does I mean yeah. dramatically worse. We we are also we've we're dealing with a, a lack of Perez mm-hmm. and you know, I, I I'm relatively on record as, as not being a big fan of Perez, but he really did, as I was saying before, bring a lot to these issues. That's right. And Pollard, for all of his strengths, doesn't like doesn't come up to the same level. And when he's taken when when Synod is taken out of the equation as well, right? You have a book that looks significantly less interesting and exciting. Well, uh, one ninety five. Yeah. Really, really strongly does for me.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I, I did want to cover... Let's cover that very quickly because I do think that is actually one of the weird ways where the... One of the things that I think... I, I don't think it's done in any deliberate way, but actually kind of... I almost wish in a way that the art in 192 hadn't been by Perez in it. If it had been by anyone else, I think it would have been great. And if this is the kind of thing that, of course, again, is... You know, seems sort of crazy, but I think it would have been a great idea to take Sinet off Inks and even Perez off issue one ninety two, so that so
0: when the FF breaks up, it stops looking like the FF
1: exactly. And when one ninety six kicks in, and it's the return of story, and it's Sinet there, and Pollard, who interestingly enough, like once you get Sinet back in there, um, I think the storytelling is is really kind of dynamic actually and you've got in it like it takes a while but all this stuff leading up to it is kind of like 195 is I don't know it's 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 kind of an ugly issue and it's ugly in a very different way than the previous issue was ugly but it also has some weird lovely stuff I do love so this is the Sue Storm issue and of course unfortunately because we're still mired in the 70s Sue can't even really hold up her own issue herself it's got to also have namer the submariner in there because of course the impossible man right and the impossible man like everyone's jammed into sue's issue just to kind of keep things going on so uh don't
0: don't get too scared of the fact that it's it's the the girl everyone
1: yeah exactly. don't worry. We've got lots of guys in here uh do you want do you want to recap it graham how would you How would you recap this sucker
0: Let's go into the subplots first Reed has his job and as you said, he's making less money than before, and his job is very mysterious. Namer has been thrown out of atlantis he he has been uh turned upon by the Atlanteans. Mm -hmm. and as a result, he's decided to get grumpy and go back to the movie studio that he owned back in FF4 because, of course, of course he did, and hired Sue to be an actress uh, because she is beautiful and also he's in love with her, everyone. But while she's trying to be an actress and everyone is talking about how beautiful she is, they are attacked by robots who are fairly generic. I mean...
1: They are incredibly generic. Like it's they're, that they're age there, of... They're
0: there mm-hmm. to cause conflict as opposed to make someone go, oh, look at those exciting new, new villains. Well, it's um,
1: amazing. Remember when I was bitching about that year before Kirby leaves the FF or two years, and suddenly everything are just generic robot designs with just different color overlays? The Retrievers are of Atlantis are in that tradition and then without... with. You know, and then some, you know, without Kirby's visual dynamism when he's trying to actively suppress it. This is someone being like, oh, these would be great.
0: Um, anyway, they are there. They ha- There's a fight. It's the generic fight scene because maybe everyone's getting a bit bored with this comic otherwise. And they convince neighbors that he should go back to Atlantis. God damn it. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, so a few things worth mentioning, I think, is this is Marv Wolfman as writer-editor. Uh, the
0: other thing That's true, that I, he is, he is now, uh, this is him taking over the book.
1: Yeah. It's him really taking over the book, continuing the storylines. And one of the things that I, I do like about this is, is that Namor really, uh, we don't see a lot of scenes in which Namor and Sue storm going to get to interact. Like a lot of their, uh, relationship, so to speak, has always taken place off screen, I guess. And although the scenes here are very, very brief and it really, one of the things that I sort of like is, is that Namor is kind of like, uh, Hey, are you and Reed Richards happy? Uh, and he basically says like, you're my only friend and you're more or less the only person that I can trust. And Sue Storm is like, uh, what I think is great is that her language is very much like, let me help you. As a friend. And
0: her body and her body language.
1: Is totally like, let me give you a hando. It's amazing the difference between what she's saying and and it's weirdly kind of like part of me is like, it kinda of works. There's kind of this weird like where she's totally like
0: Really? Really? It, seriously it works because Jeff, it doesn't. It I I don't know. I think that it, there's on what th- level does it work? Because I remember reading this and being like, oh, Keith Ballard. What the fuck were you doing?
1: I, I, I just – all I can say is is that Sue and Namor's relationship has always been weird. It's always sure, been weird. but still. So you really do get to see this thing where she's like – there's some point where she's just totally like, yeah, no, me and Reed, nah, no, we're totally – we're totally good. As I rub your amazingly strong shoulders and caress your cheek, like I'm like –
0: Let me help you," she says, Mm -hmm. as she rubs his shoulders. Oh
1: yeah, believe me. And part of me is like, okay, like I think I think Sue Storm is well aware that you know, perhaps she was raised in the South, much like Bill Clinton, and you know, the quote unquote that was not sex. Uh, It may be an effect here. Who knows? All I know, all I know, is they managed to beat up a bunch of robots together, and Sue figures it out together, together. (laughs) And and uh, basically, I sort of I kind of like the very kind of downer ending of Namor, who's basically fled Atlantis uh, because finally he manages to save his people and his people turn out to be nutbags. And in a great reversal, it's actually Namor rejecting them than the other way around. Namor more or less realizes that he has to go back to his wife, uh, a.k.a. His kingdom, and that he has to give up. You know, it's basically a very midlife crisisy, very issue. And uh, I was down. I was down with it. Part of me is like, it's a terrible issue. It looks ugly. the The designs are generic, and yeah, whatever the fuck is going on there is like kind of fucked up. But I'm like, yeah, it could have been worse. It could have been worse.
0: Barely. <laughs> no, it's a shame because I feel that Sue's issue is. I mean, I'm not sure Ben's needed to be two issues, yeah. but Ben and Johnny's spotlight issues are just so much more interesting and fun and well done than Sue's, because Sue's is ultimately thrown away as she's supportive to Neymar. Well, that's it. I mean,
1: that's, that is the thing that's really sucks is it's not a Sue, Sue story. It's a Namer story with Sue helping him in it. And that, that. That blows. I mean, you could maybe make the point that the the Ben story is basically a Darkoth story with like Ben in it, but even then, the dynamics are totally different. So, um, I don't know. Let's move on to one ninety six. Who in the world is the Invincible Man?
0: That's a great question, and mm-hmm. I will spoil it for all of you by answering it. Three Richards, everyone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that again, this story it's is I think is this the first part of the four parter or is one ninety seven I guess because I can't one ninety
0: seven is officially the the first part of the four parter, but really this is like and, and again yeah. this is also a story that's been going on for a long time. Yeah, but this is the one that sort of catalyzes everything that comes afterwards. Exactly. So it's strange, this isn't counted as the first.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting because it doesn't say it there, but next issue says part two. So it's like, huh? Oh, it does. Yeah, it does. Issue one ninety seven oh, calls itself part two. Part two well, of then, the greatest then, FF saga at all. Yeah, but part one is not does not it doesn't say it anywhere, which I think is kind of funny. Uh, it's one of the things I like about this one about this issue is is that in the past we we haven't mentioned this in our recaps, but there's a mysterious baddie who's like smoking cigarettes and calling people dolt's and simpletons, uh, and even has well, a character
0: and has also it it's it should be pointing out the person who is employing Reed yes uh, has at this point been played up to be mysterious at best yes if not untrustworthy yeah yeah yeah
1: mysterious and trustworthy untrustworthy you get to see a dude in his um a, a, a sniveling scientist working underneath him called Hauptman uh and you also get to see components from the psycho man's uniform that have been removed and integrated to to help create the creation of uh the reed as the Invisible man and um You get you get you get the rest of the Fantastic Four who've generally gotten together in Los Angeles, you know, at at, just just for fun. Yeah, more or less, because during the Sue issue, Johnny flies out to see Ben. Ben's so overjoyed and they're so happy to see each other that they basically fly out to see Sue. And it is kind of great that pretty much right off the bat, they're um, like, okay. How about we reform the FF and everyone's like, oh, thank God. Yeah, we have Exactly that.
0: I, I was really hoping for that.
1: Yeah. Also, one of the things that I do adore, and this is just a very much a throwaway, is Agatha Harkness is there. And what's great is Agatha Harkness early on when Sue is like, boy, I'm beat. I never realized movie making could be so strenuous. And Agatha is like, what you need, Susan, is a hot bath and a good rest before dinner. See you. So she leaves – She. <laughs> She literally is like, Yeah, you got to be exhausted. Okay, I'm going to leave you with your sleeping kid. See ya. Which is like, You,
0: you, you better relax. I'll pretty, catch you later
1: pretty second-rate governess, but one of the things I do love that I think is is a great little bit from from Keith Pollard, unless it ended up being added to Pablo Marcos, is when Sue goes off with Reed and Ben, she leaves Franklin with Agatha, and what's terrific is, is that he's crying. He's basically... I'm like, finally Franklin, for the first time in all of his existence in this book, is finally... Acting like an identifiable little kid and being and and basically throwing a tantrum that he gets left behind while his favorite people go out to dinner without him. It's great.
0: I'm like, finally, <laughs> you're like, I I understand tantrums.
1: He's, You know me, Graham. Tantrum's pretty much my middle name, so uh, we get some like humor about Hollywood that sort of makes sense if you literally know who was alive back in nineteen seventies, and you can recognize (laughs) John Wayne sort of in that one panel where he sort of vaguely looks like John Wayne and looks nothing like. You have to know what "Let's Make a Deal" is or was, or what the gimmick was. The side gimmick for "Let's Make make a Deal" deal.
0: is is kind of amazing because i because i don't it's the thing so i was honestly like what what the fuck is going on So so let's
1: let's make a deal I, I'll cover it very quickly Game show, not unlike The Price is Right Where The Price is Right does a similar sort of thing Where people get into the studio audience And then literally get picked out of the audience To participate on the show And Let's Make a Deal is very much uh, Monty Hall was a guy In the true game show host kind of vein Very avuncular And he would offer the guests Essentially they would have to do some simple game They would win some cash They would get the opportunity to trade the cash behind what was behind the door So a very generic game show The way it was spruced up Was the studio audience started dressing up In crazy costumes In order to be picked Because they were quote unquote telegenic They really looked like fools So eventually this sort of got boiled down To the Price is Right dynamic Where you get people wearing like special t-shirts or things But it really is and Let's Make a Deal A flat out like people dressing up like cans of soup and a teapot. And so it doesn't really make any sense unless you were alive in 1978 uh, like I was and kind of wish you hadn't been, kinda of like I do. Well, so. No,
0: but also like it's it's fine for what it is. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I am a, I am a fan of comics that are making contemporary uh cultural references that don't yeah. age well.
1: Well it is. It and it's it, yeah. sure. Exactly. I mean part of me is like I sort of much prefer the the one where like Ben Grimm is like, oh, my God, it's John Wayne. Can you... I've seen every flick you ever made. And this is one of those rare appearances where, of the word flick in a comic book. And true to form, it, the L and the I really do run together. And it says, like, I've seen every fuck you ever made, big guy. Can you give me an autograph also, for also, my little John nephew? His I name's think you
0: ben. mean Willie Bendix.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Next to, next to Willie Bendix, he's my one and only idol. So no, no, it's William Bendix and John Wayne. Which is interesting. So, so, yeah, a little bit of shtick there. I kind of dig it. It's, you know, and it, it sets things up for, hey, the FF are now going to end up fighting the Invincible Man inside the Brown Derby in the Los Angeles restaurant. And in true Los Angeles form, nobody even r- r- pays any attention to this huge fight.
0: But I, I also love that when they go into the Brown Derby, uh, they are compared to multiple movie stars.
1: Oh, yeah. That is actually kind of great. Which
0: which is a great little joke. Yeah. They are called – oh, what are they? Miss Dickinson, uh, and, and Mr. Dickinson Hamill. Mark Hamill. Yeah. Uh, and then Ali McGraw and Sean Cassidy.
1: Which, yeah. Which, again, part of me is like, Ali McGraw? That doesn't make – oh, and she's also referred to as Dinah Shore too. I do so enjoy your show, Miss Shore, which is which is also very funny. So
0: it's great. I will uh have to put photographs up of these celebrities so people will be like, huh? Yeah, <laughs> particularly Ally McGraw, where I'm like, that did,
1: was someone not paying attention, like, she's not even blonde, like, and I guess that's part of the joke, except, you know, the idea of Johnny Storm as Sean Cassidy. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can totally see that. I can totally see what you were going for. Well,
0: that's what I actually like. I like the idea that it's it's kind of fan casting.
1: Yeah. The fan casting of Mark Hamill and Angie Dickinson. I'm like, I'm I would I'm down with that. I got to admit, I was like. I did not know that Angie Dickinson in a Fantastic Four outfit was even a thing that I wanted to see until I read that. And I was like, holy shit, that would have been awesome. So anyway.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's so, so very, very strange. Anyway, while they're having dinner, they're interrupted by visions, visions of terrifying things. Sue sees the floating head of her dead father. Yeah. And... Ben sees wonderfully Alicia in his soup and then she magically appears and starts beating the shit out of him.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing and then they go uh, that you know it's it's just uh, so of course as it turns out we see and this is the other thing that's great is the the mysterious shadowy boss that we see we see pretty much close up. And he really is drawn like Victor Von Doom in a way that is very recognizable to us. The you know, but I'm but nobody recognizes him as such. Which I think is kind of a nice touch because part of me is like, have they just returned to the Victor Von Doom image so many times that I recognize him here, or is it because I read it as a kid? I don't know. Did you get that 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 vibe? There's no real confusion here
0: yeah, with you, that, you right? He is but mm-hmm. at the same time he's. Uh... I know who he is because he acts like Victor Doom. Exactly. I think visually, but I think visually he is generic enough that he could also be the Red Skrull.
1: Yeah, that's true. Maybe the the, the whole skull. cigarette thing. Red yeah, mm. is, the red <laughs> scroll. Oh my is, god! Why haven't they done that? That would they be actually, great. They have.
0: That's, a, that's a joke oh. in the red hambach, fantastic four roast.
1: That's an old school out, Graham McMillan. Also, oh, I, we've I, got I read, to read I that read the for the Baxter building. We've got to do a I, Baxter building with that in there.
0: I, I read it the other day.
1: Oh my God! You're you're the best.
0: Uh, I, it might even be on Unlimited, but it's uh, I definitely read it in the House of House of Hem
1: House of Hem, which is kind of the Hembeck collection, right? So of Marvel stuff.
0: It's such yeah. a random Hembeck collection as well. Yeah. It's that Fred Hembeck destroys the Marvel universe. A short he did for Hulk Annual, a, a digital short for Spider Man, and just random. Marvel age strips, but nowhere near all of them. Oh like, yeah, because it's true. Because there were a lot. Yeah, yeah. Because he did it for hundreds of issues. Yeah, yeah or that's kind b- of I should say.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so anyway, I, 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 so this is interesting. One of the things that I didn't really catch until it turns out that uh, our mysterious supervillain, unmasked, invincible man, and says like, "Look at the one who defeated you." And uh, with his hypno-persuader, he has turned Reed Richards into the Invincible Man to defeat all of his uh, friends. They're all trapped. Uh, And so, interestingly enough, even when you have Reed being uh, essentially not, you know, he ends up disbanding the FF because he says, like, enemies have turned me into a pawn twice already.
0: Exactly. Or uh, three times trade.
1: Right. Well see, and there you have it. It happens again. And again, this is the thing that I think is really interesting is this idea that once Reed loses his shadow self, he can be manipulated by anyone. And he continues to be. Uh and so um the build up of the 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 mysterious guy who has done it this most recent time being essentially um uh tied to dr doom and we essentially find out how i think at the end of 197 um, starts to make a little it it it, it, i think again for me thematically it's like okay we're laying the groundwork for because the end of 196 is not subtle it literally i don't know if they're worried that they're going to lose readers or whatever but it literally says next issue doc doom operation coronation the return of Reed's powers, all this, and would you believe the riotous return of the Red Ghost? I think it's really interesting that they're like, "Yeah, he's going to get his powers back now." Like,
0: yeah, and, and they say the same on the cover of one ninety-seven. Yeah, at long last, the return of Reed Richards' superpowers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting to me that they that there's no surprise about it. You know, there's there's no tension at all. They say the the month before he gets his powers back. Everyone. And then yeah. the cover, he gets his powers back.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if that is just—it's kind of—it's, you know, it's interesting that they don't want to hold out the drama for it. A part of me is like, wow, are they really thinking that their sales are going to tank, or is it just? But well, it is the part this of is, wonders, yeah.
0: Pardon me, wonders if they get been getting complaints.
1: Yeah, I wonder as well
0: because Reed has been without powers for some time now. For well, that's more it. than a year. <laughs> Well, that's it. This is,
1: this is 197. He's, he's lost, he's using his little artificial hands in like issue 184. We should know this, Graham, but like, what issue does he technically lose them in? Is it 181, 182, where he's like,
0: Uh, I I just don't have them anymore? I want to say it's even earlier than that.
1: 178. And on like page uh, 27 of 178, he's like, I'm trying, Ben, but my stretching powers is gone. So I mean, it's been on the decline up to that, but he the point where he literally I, tw- can't stretch I, anymore. Almost twenty months. Yeah, that's a long fucking time. It's two years, just about two years. So yeah, it's kind of it's kind of wild that that's that is an incredibly long time by by uh, by
0: by those standards. By those you standards, know, so is crazy. stories did not continue for. I mean, the fact that the FF is essentially broken up for a year. Yeah. time sending get back in, mm-hmm. in 200, is, is really lengthy by itself, but really has no powers for 20 months. Yeah. And one of the things that I
1: actually really have to give it up for, for, you know, we sort of talk about Pollard. It's so funny because, of course, you know, you just weren't feeling the love for Perez. And when you said you enjoyed these issues, I was like, oh, he's really talking, he's going to be talking about how much he loves Pollard's art. I think that Pollard's art in the run up to cuz from 179 through 200 it's Pollard and it's inked by Senate. So it looks like you, the you mean 197? Uh sorry, 197 through to 200 it's it's Pollard and Senate. And I think Pollard's storytelling is is actually pretty dynamic here. Like the
0: Yeah, the, but again, it takes Senate's inks yes. because you could not see you did not see this kind of storytelling mm-hmm. in the, the Pablo Marcos issues. That's you, right. You, you just didn't. Yeah. Which either Pablo Marcos is an astonishingly bad inker for Pollard mm-hmm. or Sinnott is considerably redrawing this work.
1: I th- And I think that he is. I honestly think that part of the reason why – because again, at a certain point, Sinnott is not described as an inker. You know, he he's described as – a storyteller and illustrator in the previous issues with Perez here in 197 he's called the finisher and Pollard is called the storyteller which is kind of strange then they co-share as artists extraordinaire and storytellers on 198 and 199 and illustrators in issue 200 so sinet is is definitely a a bump up you know,
0: yeah, Senate so is not just inking at yeah. this point, yeah, because there is a dynamism in these three issues that are not there before, and just his finishes mm-hmm. look considerably better, yeah. I mean, so, so the plot of, of 197, we should we should talk about very quickly, is the Reed gets his powers back in a way that actually is so logical that it's kind of surprising that. He hadn't done it before. Mm -hmm. He just recreates the flight that gave him the powers in the first place.
1: Well, he does say at one point he's like the finances were far beyond his means. This is being underwritten by the mysterious figure who is, you know, uh, who Dr. Doom is controlling. So Reed actually is like, I need the resources of a small country to build this ship. But uh,
0: Waka What I love is
1: again, Wolfman is. There's a lot of sloppiness that creeps into these issues. That again, for whatever reason, does not somehow undercut it. There's a page. It's it's literally page three of the issue. You have Reed being fired. He's already in space, and as Reed Richards is in his continuing his flight spaceward. Reed thinks, whoever he is, he's thought of everything. This ship houses no guidance controls. I can't alter the preset flight pattern. And then literally four panels later, he's like, oh, no, the calculations are off by a millifraction. If I can't correct them immediately, this mission is over before it begins. There, just in time. I'm like, what the fuck did you just do? You just said you couldn't fucking do anything. Well, so.
0: Yeah, Well, here's the thing. I saw that as him taking apart a panel. Uh-huh. I saw that as him basically hacking the system.
1: Could be, could be, could be. I mean, he's hacking the system. It is. I guess it's true. I don't know. Anyway, he turns around. He becomes Mister Fantastic. But little does he know, he's got to hop on the mist that is the Red Ghost, who who also is the only other person you know who is who's managed to have his powers be created by the cosmic rays. Uh, is back and stronger than ever. And meanwhile, to me, more interesting is the the subplot of the FF being caught. Doctor Doom is basically ramping up his big master plan, and it's he has kidnapped Alicia to sculpt his face to put it on his the the work of his true glory. And so you see, uh, Doctor Doom re- re- remove his mask. Again, in things that make no sense to me, he's like, her job is to remodel my features as they were before the accident that scarred them. And then he lets Alicia feel his scarred face so that she can sculpt it. I'm just like, maybe I don't understand what, how scarring works, you know? But it does lead to some or great... how
0: good a sculptor Alicia is. That could
1: be. That she she feels it and then gets to gets to really tune into the rest of it. But I love... I love this version of Dr. Doom. I part of the reason why this storyline really works for me is is that like I said, Reed without his with his shadow self being the brute and all these other incarnations that have come out, I really feel the the subtext of this is Reed Richards' shadow true shadow self is Dr. Doom and in order to make that work, you really have to have Dr. Doom be um Basically, the awesome kind of figure that he really is, you know, all of his little contradictions and all of his little, uh, his weird, the pathos pushed right up to the front. And you start to see that really happen here.
0: You have also stopped just before the great reveal of the issue, which is the shadowy figure is Dr. Doom's son. That's right. Leading to Ben (laughs) saying, kiss my zits, that creeps a pappy.
1: I love that. I'm not so crazy about kiss my zits for whatever reason, but his reaction.
0: Kiss my zits, that creeps a pappy. That creeps
1: a pappy actually made me laugh out loud, which I think is, it's pretty great. Uh, Yeah, but uh, honestly, because for me, the part that I love is when Alicia uh, is feeling his face and doing that weird Alicia, like I'm you know, I'm actually an empath with better superpowers than everyone else. And none of us seem to know it is like, I would have never expected it listening to you rant, but your face indicates a sensitive man, a strong man, a man more with a lifetime of pain. Somehow I sense there's a good man here, but you've been torn and twisted by suspicion and hatred. And of course, Dr. Doom flips his shit and is like, stop mocking me. I will not have you mock me. And I, I again, this is one of those things that I think is kind of kind of weird and awesome. Like, it's a it's again not it's in no way subtle. It's super <laughs> super super on the nose. But I think it's this very important thing that Wolfman is keyed into is this idea that Doctor Doom and Reed Richards are weird mirror figures of each other, um, in part because Doctor Doom could be could could be a good man, could be a great man, but he is unwilling to own his shit in a way that prevents him from ever being what he could be. So, anyway, I'm kind of into, into it. Gotta admit.
0: I've got to admit. I'm just going to say this, and then we can move on to 198, because yep. we, we should, like, speed along. Anyone who's listening to this who writes for Marvel, there is definitely space for Alicia being revealed to just be a bullshit artist <laughs> who tells everyone what they want to hear to be flattered. <laughs> it could be. I just, I just want to I, throw that out there. I just, I just Alicia that A can see yeah. and B just tells everyone that she's never, C. she'd never imagined someone so sensitive deep down. Yeah. And so noble slash handsome slash whatever. Yeah. I am. I am all in favor of that shit.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, so uh, so that brings us into issue one ninety eight, part three of the greatest FF. Epic of all invasion after a a pretty, I think a pretty dramatic little fight with space ghost in the space in up in a, in a defective spaceship, sorry, space space ghost. ghost. That would be great. Where space ghost manages to ask, read nonsensical questions and mock him. uh, A surprisingly pretty cool little fight that Reed barely manages to survive, gets picked up by Nick Fury and is like, okay, I'm taking Dr. Doom on on my own. This is a fight that only I can win. Uh, It opens with an issue 198 where he pretty much ends up getting clowned by the first batch of Doom bots at the edge of Latveria right out of the gate.
0: Um, But the way Reed gets into Latveria – Mm-hmm. In, in 198 is spectacular. Yeah. He he crawls in, then he's like. I'm going to have to put this in the, the show notes because he swings in and makes himself into a parachute and then a rubber ball yeah. to bounce into that area. Yeah. Well, Say what you like. I mean, he's, he's working for it.
1: Well, I, I think that's I, one of the things that I think is actually really great. And I don't know if it's Pollard, I don't know if it's Wolfman or it's both, but when Reed gets his powers back, they work double time to make him as visually interesting as possible. It's not like you said, it's not just one panel of him floating in as a parachute. He goes in in three different ways when he is attacking these robots, he's all over the place. And additionally, as the fight scenes go on, because Reed mentions like he's got his powers back stronger than ever. He's doing far more sort of plastic manny type shit than you actually have ever seen Reed do for the most part throughout the rest of the FF run, you know, he literally does the whole like somebody's walking along a blue carpet and it ends up being Reed, you know, it's to me, it's kind of like, I don't think that he was actually doing this sort of stuff. And then, of course, Keith Pollard realizes that one time where Kirby had Mr. Fantastic make his fist into a mace is like the coolest visual and should be ripped off at least three times. I, I'm kind of into it. Do you want to talk about the Latvian resistance? Should we mention it?
0: I do want to talk about the leader of the Latvian resistance because he's called Zorba. Yes. Which I don't know why I find that quite so funny, but holy shit, I find that hilarious. Every single time he appears, I cannot get over his name.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. And it's kind of a shame because, again, Zorba is definitely being set up as – Uh, you know, it, it makes sense to me that the ultimate final scene in issue 200 is a, is a showdown in a hall of mirrors because you've got Reed and his shadow self, Victor Von Doom. And then you kind of have another shadow self of Victor in Zorba who has a ridiculous name, but it's very important to notice he's been scarred in the face and tortured and in fact has lost an eye. He kind of has undergone the level of persecution from Victor Von Doom that Victor underwent. Uh, and he's, he's a good guy. At least for now, he's a good guy. I think the the seeds are very well sown here that um, I, I think that it's possible. I don't, I don't remember because I, I stopped reading soon after this. But it wouldn't surprise me if the end game beyond this is that Zorba is being set up to be the next Doctor Doom by, uh, by Wolfman. Um, but, but for here, we just see him as a man of the people, a man who, even though he's got like, you know, a weird binocular eye and a bunch he of has, scars, like,
0: he has a weird, like, cyborg guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He totally does. Which at first really doesn't do much, but later on is like firing things and shit. So, um,
0: so yeah, people anyway, keep... he, Reed runs, runs into him yep. and Zorba explains that they're dealing with Doom's own son. For that matter, that Doom is up to something yep. with his own son that he also explains partially to Alicia, although not completely at this point. Reed and Zorba lead uh, an invasion onto Doom's castle. Yep. But it turns out things don't go to plan because, of course, they don't. This is 198 and not issue 200. Right. Reed captures Houtman disguises himself as Hougman because mm-hmm his powers can now do that as well.
1: Exactly. And
0: is then captured by Doom.
1: Yeah, who seems sees right through the disguise, gasses him, but Haltman and Zorba apparently seem to escape. Uh, unscathed, and you end with the son of Doctor Doom being uh strapped into one of those typical, like, let's strap you into this weirdo gizmo bob and ha transfer all of the powers into the Fantastic Four, which be transferred into the body of my son Victor von Doom II,
0: which I love. Mm-hmm. When I was reading that, I was like, wait, that means he's Victor von Doom Jr. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. I love the idea of Victor Von Doom Jr., not least because it only makes sense that Victor Von Doom would call his kid Victor Von Doom. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even before you find out the twist of Victor Von Doom uh, the second, you you're already like, this feels right. Again, I feel like Wolfman has a real understanding, a, a real – he really knows where he's going to go with this monomania for, uh, for doom. And uh, interestingly enough, we sh- I should point out one of the great things that you see in Wolfman is he, the, the, the Marv Wolfman who at one point forgets that he's killed the, the anti-monitor in one issue of crisis on infinite earths. And, and George Perez has to remind him that the character was dead, even though the plot has the anti as the monitor walking around in another issue uh similarly issue 198 ends with this that with all the powers of the ff being you know transferred into victor von doom the second, the immense machine is activated is the last uh, last caption and in the space of a moment it is all over and the great thing is is when it opens up in 199 not only is it still happening but dr doom actually leaves goes off to have like a a a a address his people in a way that doesn't actually go very well at all, and then comes back it ends up like, you know, making Alicia, like, uh, sculpt him again, and when it comes back, like, ten pages later the process is still going on so,
0: God well, bless but you Marvel. You're, but. You're, you're completely glossing over the most important part of 199, which is Doom is controlling this via his sonic keyboard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Doom has – I don't know if this is Keith Ballard basically seeing what he can get away with. Mm -hmm. Doom basically has this awesome keyboard setup. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's basically – again, I think this is the
1: very deep understanding. When we first see Doom real early on, he's playing – it's the the four panels in which – Dr. Doom basically like any, you know, uh, I was going to say despot, but let's just say a Republican tries to pretend that he's really into the arts (laughs) because he's playing a piece of Wagner. Oh, I know. I know. I'm sorry, guys. I I really I just mean Republicans in New York, honestly. So hopefully that trims it down a little bit where it's like, no, I totally care about the arts. Here's Wagner. Here's Alicia Masters. All artists are always welcome in my, you know, uh, domain. Now sculpt me you know like as long as they're doing something about me anyway so it turns out that the doom like any good you know megalomaniac/republican is really into prog rock and so there's some awesome shots of him playing his little s- double sets of sonic keyboards which is like always the tip off like whenever it's one keyboard on top of another keyboard you know this dude like Dr Doom spent way too long like taking deep hits off the bong and listening to Emerson Lake and Palmer but uh
0: we, we Also, not only does this look great, we have not paid enough attention to the way Wolfman writes Doom. While Doom is playing the keyboard, this is his dialogue, listeners. Yeah. Too often have I been stalemated by that accursed quartet, but never again. When I have completed the symphony, they shall be powerless clods, and Doom shall control the world. (laughs) Ah, the sonic keyboard plays with perfection. Never have I heard his tune sound sweeter. But I must still make sure that no one discovers my ultimate plan. The coronation ceremony must continue as designed. The monarch of Vladvire must seemingly pass from my hands and rest in my son's. It's it's pitch perfect. It really it is. genuinely is. Yeah, Wolfman does a great doom in these issues.
1: Yeah, no, and that is I, that is actually I think why for me why these issues work so well is is that doom is a figure of pathos. He's a figure of pity. Wolfman still has that completely duplicitous side to doom where he's saying one thing and he's actually crowing about something on the other. You know, there's, there's all of it. Even, even the idea that he is the, the engineer of his own defeat you know it's it's all in there and it is written in this super large melodrama it totally works for me because this is i realize that wolfman's dr D- doom is very much the doom is is my dr doom and yeah, it exactly. really does he, work for me
0: he has the right pitch of self engrandizement, yeah but also I, i'm trying to think how to put it like comedy yeah He's right. appropriately funny and over the top yeah He's he's
1: well because I think there is again sort of like we were saying that Ween and Wolfman are not Thomas like whether by choice or just honestly I have to say I didn't even actually talk to you I had a list of all the words that well, not all of them a partial list of the words that Wolfman misuses in these issues because he. <laughs> He totally he gets there's oh please, three,
0: please email that to me so I can put it in the show notes.
1: Okay. I, I totally will. But the one that I remember is there's one part where he's he's the what tipped me off was the part where um in the fight with the red ghost, one of the captions refers to Reed as normally being laconic. And I'm like what? So Reed? Yeah, exactly. I looked it up and like I okay, I just want to double check. There's like three other words in this whole run that Wolfman totally I'm like that's not the right word. Even when he's referring to at one point he refers to uh Doom refers to Reed in issue 200 as an ignorant poltroon and I'm like he's not a poltroon. What? Anyway, it's great. So anyway, so Wolfman really is his 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 Doom is campy that works in a way because it's not what uh, It's not a camp that is going to wink at the reader. You can – if you're a 12-year-old kid, you can read this and Doom is just straight up evil. As you – you know, whereas like I feel, again, Thomas is a little bit like I have to let you know that I know that you know that I know that this is
0: the Doctor Doom's kind of camp. Yeah, we we and Wolfman both get out of the way.
1: They really do. Which makes it
0: so much more fun.
1: It's true. It's true. It's on, it, it makes for weirdly a stronger set of issues. So, uh, yeah, this is 199. It's the, it's the big lead up to issue 100. And again, in a great twist, essentially, uh, the clone of Dr. Doom gets some of, uh, sorry, Doom's son. I spoiled it.
0: You've just given it away. Doom's son is a clone, everyone.
1: Yes. That reveals
0: in this issue, Jeff has not completely blown it.
1: Yeah, sorry, guys. I I should have said that at the appropriate time because what happens is, of course, we realize that all this stuff about Doom's son – and what's great is is Doom is enough of a – you know, a guy who would totally name his son Victor Von Doom II and give him all the power and abdicate it onto his son. You can kind of see that, but what's great is, is no Doom's even more of a monomaniac and has created his own clone that he's going to give all the powers of the Fantastic Four and then transfer his consciousness into so that he can still rule Lutvaria and soon the world and have all the powers of the FF. Uh, But what's kind of great is the clone of Victor Von Doom Turns immediately on Doctor Doom and is like, "You're a shitheel. You're a f- you are fucked up. I don't possess your outrage, your hate, or your insanity." And and Doom is literally like, "What are you talking about? You're insane." And and his son, the clone, is like, "Don't you see the truth at last? Like I had your perfect mind and the perfect face, like." you know, and, and doom's like, shut up. I, I am doom. I'm totally, I'm everything that is, and I'm great. And the clone is like, no, you, you have to admit you hate yourself. You hate what you are. And doom literally kills his better self. Again, it can't be more on the nose, but it's great. It's really, really great. I enjoyed that.
0: It is is in no way subtle, but that does not, it, in fact, that might help it to
1: be more. Fun. Oh, it totally does. That is the charm of these issues. Is yes, nuance and subtlety go out the issue, go out the window. You get the camp, and you get the opera. You get the opera. It really does come much, much closer to to the stuff that I love about Lee and Garby, than you would expect, considering this really is like the super cover band version of it. Like, it shouldn't work. Here's
0: the thing. It really is. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's yeah. something about Doom's particular scheme here yeah, that really works for me beyond the cover band aspect. Yeah. Like, I really like the idea. And I also, I'm surprised you haven't leapt on the metatext of basically creating a more perfect-looking clone that will take the place. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. you're when we're in the cover band era,
1: oh, I see what um, you're saying. Yeah, that's a good point. I miss
0: that. But it's it, there's something about the scheme mm-hmm. that I really, really appreciate.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: That yeah, it, it, no, I agree. It brings true to the characters, but also does not feel like a rehash. In a way that, like, even Salem Seven felt like a rehash, but a welcome one.
1: Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that it really is. I think because we've seen Doom try to take over the world in similar ways, I think what really helps, helps because this is a four-part issue, is, is that Doom's, as you would expect, of a good me- megalomaniac, and I think this is sort of what I prefer of my version of Doom, is Doom fails because, you know... It, in part because it's a little bit of the, you know, he hates himself, but honestly it's just because he he's too much of a megalomaniac to stop when he's ahead. So it's not just that he has, you know, created, he's got this solar power energy device at his disposal. He's also sculpting a statue of himself that is going to be loaded with a mind control device and... Also, he's going to destroy the Fantastic Four by transferring all of their powers into his perfect clone.
0: Like it's literally everything. It's he's well, literally and, trying and to. And also, and I don't think this is even revealed in one eighty nine, but it's revealed in two hundred. He's going to just kill all the United Nations.
1: Yes. Well, that's after. I feel like the 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 United Nations deal, as I recall, isn't that part of it because he they. They basically his abdication process goes wrong he's going to abdicate to the you know to his son and it's being televised to everyone and it all goes wrong and he literally ends up you know killing his heir uh on air so to speak and and finds himself i think at one point when he gets onto the doom jet he's like. Hurry, we must arrive in New York before the United Nations takes its final vote to condemn Fair Latveria and outlaw her from their organization. So I think he's pivoting a little bit, but he still had his plan was supposed to be. And I say like, I think, I mean, we should keep in mind, we're glossing over this because as always, I've made this such a long (laughs) Episode, But, you know, there's there's a point where Zorba finds out information about Dr. Doom's secret plan in one issue and hands it to Reed, and then the next issue, he does it again. Like, there's a lot of—Wolfman is not—it's a good thing he's so good with the emotional details of things, because he's really not paying much attention to the finer stuff. He's just moving a little too fast. You know what I mean?
0: But again, that works for me. Oh, like for me reading, too. Reading this mm-hmm. as a, as a, as a one works for me, but also I can totally imagine it working on a monthly basis because who is really going to remember the details of this shit No,
1: totally. As a kid, it wasn't until I was reading it all at ago, go. And of course, as a kid, I kind of did then too. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a big fan of issue 200 just moves like a son of a bitch, you know? it really is it's a double sized issue but it doesn't after all the time spent setting up doom's plan you have him he's fighting the fantastic 4 on like basically page you know 6 he's unleashing a cyclone and destroying the you know the rebellion of in cold blood on like page 8 you know and you've got Apart from, you know, a page of some rampant kissing, uh, weirdly enough, I don't think we've actually ever seen Alicia and Ben Grimm kiss until... Until now. Yeah.
0: it look weird?
1: It's weird. It's weird.
0: It looks looks weird in the sense of, um, like, I I actually wondered about the mechanics of it, if that makes sense.
1: No, I totally get it, because it's kind of... You realize, like, the thing's got a
0: mouth, but he doesn't really seem to have lips,
1: you know? But also, it's... like,
0: does he have a tongue? And also, is his mouth not super big compared with Alicia's?
1: No, I know. How is their? How do their faces kind of fit? Like, they sort of cheat the angle on the one panel where they're actually kissing. Honestly, the panel where Alicia has her, clothes, her eyes closed and she's getting ready to kiss Ben, and he's like, hey, what are you staring at? You never saw Beauty and the Beast? And you're just kind of like... Oh wow, they're kind of yeah, uh, you know. Alicia's into it is basically um, to steal a phrase from L. Collins. Uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of kind of sexy. Kind of forbidden. By the way, it's I kind hope of, like, Graham, really
0: kind of, you kind of forbidden. Really, I don't know, Graham,
1: You know, each their own, man. Well, I don't know what to tell. Don't I don't understand why you got to be a judger. Heels, super dogs. It's the infamous Milk Dud Super Dud sweepstakes is probably the best double page spread of a comic book in which Dr. Doom is actually taking over uh, the world. Uh, I don't know if you saw it in the GIT Corps, but I remember oh, this.
0: No, no, uh, no, I did. It's, it's, uh, Doctor Doom is advertising the infamous Milk Dud Super Dud Sweepstakes, yes. and that that really works well in an issue where Doctor Doom is trying to kill the United Nations.
1: <laughs> it's kind of great. It's it's it is it's an amazing little image to get dropped into a panel where he's literally about to blow up the United Nations. Um, so I, so basically, it all boils down to for, to to a lot of battles between Reed and Doctor Doom, which I kind of appreciate. Is is that. There's the panels where it's like Reed hitting him with a table and then trying to escape from the macabre murder room to the two of them essentially like Reed like destroying Doom's armor and the two of them just battering at one another and just being unable to shut up talking. It's just great. I really do it love is, the pacing of this issue.
0: There's something about the idea of... Reed and Doom, just going at it like that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That feels uh, worthy of a two hundredth issue. It really is. Do you it know what I really mean? Like, because uh-huh. you have ne- you haven't seen this before. Yeah, but you have seen Reed be the man of action. Yeah, and and you have seen Doom be obsessed with Reed. But yes. there's something about seeing the two of them have this kind of confrontation that feels climactic.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 It really does. It really does. I remember, I love this story as a kid. There's a page, they're just hammering. They're both broken. You have doom. And what's great is as he becomes more and more kind of crazed, he's like, and that makes me your master Richards. Did you hear me? I am your master. Say it, Richards. say it now. Dr. Doom is your master. And, And then on the, and it's like, I demand, I demand to pay you back for all those years of frustration of always knowing there was someone else as strong, as powerful, someone who might almost be doomed superior. And then he's like, what did I start to say? Doomed superior? Ha! I've always been your better. Admit it. Admit that you tampered with the machine that destroyed my face. It was you. It had to be. I I love this. I really do. Again, this is my jam. This is everything I love about Doctor Doom is this idea that he is so fixated on Richards because he cannot accept the idea that there's anyone better than him and yet he secretly knows it and all, and yeah, the way it, it, it twists. It,
0: it's, it's that's why he's so angry. He's so angry yeah. because he knows it.
1: Yeah. He's so angry because he knows it, and that's why he's so obsessed with Richards. It literally it is such a good little character beat. To me, it really did. It worked for me. And so it's really funny being able to read it again in this issue of Baxter Building. And I knew that it really informed my The things that I saw and I liked in, because I read these before I read most of the issues that we've discussed and reading them and seeing various elements of Dr. Doom and me being like, oh yeah, no, that's right. No, that isn't right. No, this really feels like Dr. Doom. And realizing how much it really is, like there is something very satisfying. I guess, like you said, the meta text of the clone that surpasses the original there is the Wolfman knows, takes all the pieces of Doctor Doom and brings it into an integrated whole in a way that just is deeply satisfying. And again, that idea that Reed Richards, by having a proper shadow self that is this version of a, of a megalomaniac, um, allows Reed to basically be a better hero to be Mr. Fantastic. It is really, and that's something that, that is amazing Uh, for me, considering how much everyone's listened to us, bitch about the fantastic four issues where it's under the Stanley, uh, regime where it was all about Reed Richards. This issue of the fantastic four is, is pretty much an all Reed Richards issue. It's him in battle with Dr. Doom, but somehow, I do I don't mind it. It totally works. And I'm t- and it really does make Reed work for me in a way that that was always kind of just fronting, you know, people fronting before, you know? So
0: Well that's just it, it's Reed that lives up to the the myth of Reed that the comics' exactly. been trying to sell all the time.
1: hmm mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and it does. It's one of those deals where, he, of course, he's going to come off better by contrast. But there's just also the degree in which, you know, that classic, you know, cliche about how a good superhero is defined by his arch enemy. Um, that really works here. That really does work here. Because the fact is.
0: Well, it, it helps that Doom is such a great character. Yeah. Like, Doom. Doom let's be honest. Is a more interesting character than Reed.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely, but what's lovely is is by giving Doom all the filigree and all that all kind of all the 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 psychological depth by having Reed actually literally you know doom is battering Reed and basically trying to get him to admit that that you know he he fucked over Victor because he was jealous and reed is literally almost up until the last minute saying like we can help you you can be an amazing person you have so much to offer the world if you can just give up on this hatred and and doom's like what are you even talking about you know he literally can't even see it so so yeah doom doom actually does make is is awesome but it also does help me like reading this i'm like yeah Reed Richards is, is pretty okay, you know? At least in this, yeah.
0: you know, he's, he's yeah, all right Re- by Reed me. Richards has the, and, and this is amazingly rare, but Reed Richards gets to be the action hero that he rarely is because that role is normally taken by Johnny or Ben. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. And
0: because they are sent out to the United Nations to <laughs> prevent the hypnotic that to turning them all into savages. That is really the plot. Everyone. Then, then, Reed gets the chance to shine.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally does, totally does. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a pretty nice little batch. Um, honestly, seriously, I kind of think that people who may have started with the Baxter Building with us and reading issues and then jumping off, kind of jump back in for this last couple dozen because I do think the ending of two hundred is still. Still satisfying. Still works. Because it in part because it is a Doctor Doom story. And it's a it's a really
0: It's a great Doctor Doom story. It's not yeah. just a Doctor Doom story.
1: Yeah, it's a great Doctor Doom story. Absolutely. And um it's it it ends up being a real real high note, which is uh what a relief, huh?
0: I really like these issues. I th- think this was a really strong run. I think the run genuinely is more fun than the, the the last badge we read. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I told you that this week, I was convinced, 100% convinced, that you were going to hate them.
1: Okay, why did you think I was going to hate them?
0: Just because
1: you like them? Or, you know, which I said was a joke.
0: Because it is so stripped of the pretensions of Thomas that I think you really appreciate it.
1: Well that that is I appreciate Thomas's pretensions it's totally true. It helps that uh I really uh love Perez and Sinnott, which are in pretty good form through I think some pretty bad stories. I really I remember some of this stuff very fondly. I didn't think it was going to hold up, but it really it really does. I I th- it I it's funny that you Thought that which I could see, considering how much of the Baxter Building is me talking about what I like best about Doom, and these four issues, uh, five four or five issues, yeah, are really nail it. Like this is this really is kind of the mouth of the Nile for me. Like this is where all all my understanding and appreciation of doom stems from. So, yeah, no, I, I was afraid that I might hate it because simply because that last batch, which I was sure we would agree on you loathe. And then when you like these, I'm like, Oh fuck, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hate them then. Cause we're so out of sync. <laughs> so,
0: but, but we're not Jeff. We're not out of sync. We're in agreement on this. Yeah. Yeah. This, this shit is good. Yes. I'm surprisingly. So, Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be curious to see if this really holds true. But I remember after this, it's really disappointing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's because it, to me, no, it's it really it's, is. It's, it's very downhill.
1: Yeah, it's because it is. It's the same. It's the same team. And so I was so amped for what was going to come next. And it's a. Uh, well, we'll we'll read them and see. Graham, do you want to give us an idea of what, what issues we should be covering?
0: But I'm going to blow everyone's mind. You ready, everyone? Okay. Next time, we're going to read the fucking annuals. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good idea. Yeah. We're not even going to read normal issues next time. Next time, we are going to read at least annuals 11 through 13. And if I can get my hands on them, yeah. uh, Giant Size Superstars issue 1, which turns into Giant Size Fantastic Four for issues 2, 3, and 4.
1: Yeah, good, good luck. You've got to let me know if that, how to get a hold of those. Because I know that Giant Size Superstars number 1, as I, as I mentioned to you, is actually on Unlimited.
0: Unlimited and giant size Fantastic Four issue four is also on Unlimited.
1: Okay, so we just have issues two and three to two dig up, three, yeah,
0: which are not on Unlimited but yeah. are in essential Fantastic Four volume seven. Wow, if I can find a goddamn copy of that, yeah, then everything will great. Otherwise, we might just be doing giant size Superstars one, giant size Fantastic Four two, and uh, Fantastic Four Annual 11 through 13. Yeah. If anyone is wondering what happened between Fantastic Four Annual, I think five. Yes, and issue uh, annual 11. They're reprints. Yeah. Uh, it, it reprints all the way up to uh, 11. 11 takes us back to when Medusa is in the team. Yep. And then uh, 12, 13, 13 ends pretty much around now. That's right. Uh, it pretty, yeah. pretty much coincides with uh, issue 200 because Wait. it has the team getting back together.
1: Yeah, uh, I was gonna say I thought I thought eleven was. Oh, never mind. Anyway, giant size superstars number one jumps all the way back to Conway Buckler issue uh, era. So we're gonna be we're gonna be jumping all yeah, over the place be, a little yeah, bit. Jumping yeah, all over. But it yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
0: It'll, it'll work out.
1: Yes. Yes, it totally will. Uh, okay, well, that's fabulous. I I have to say, I'm looking forward to it.
0: it it's going to be a bunch of different issues, and it's going to be a bunch of different creators. Uh, and it, it, I think it will be fun, to be perfectly honest with you, but we'll see. Nothing else. We have Chris Claremont and the first appearance of Madrox the Multiple man to Look Forward.
1: To. Ooh, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's uh, issue four. That's mm-hmm. why it's on Unlimited. Jeff. Yes. Would you like to do the ending this time?
1: Everyone, listen, this is us. This is Graham. This is me. Uh, As you know, we also have another – podcast wait what that we do um, on other weeks when we're not doing this and or recovering uh, and and healing our brains uh, you can find us we are everywhere all all over the internet uh, we are wait where you'll find show notes for this episode and every episode that we do as well as uh, sundry writings on comics from uh, not so often myself unfortunately these days but hopefully I'll be pitching in there soon but but Graham still is in the game, as is the remarkable Mr. Matt Turrell. Uh you can find us on Tumblr, wait what where uh we post stuff that we think is awesome. Uh Comics related stuff. Graham is great at that. Up until a few weeks ago, you had me sort of pitching in some stuff. You can find yeah, us.
0: We're totally pitching in, and it was great. You yeah. were doing reviews and everything. Like you were sneaking shit in.
1: I, I was enjoying I was, it. I'm looking, yeah. I'm
0: looking forward to your return.
1: I and and I'm I'm hoping to be back at it soon. Believe me. Uh, we are on Twitter uh, separately at um, Wait What Podcast, and uh, we are on the. No, wait, together and separately, (laughs) Graham, end of the night blues, people. Uh, Graham is on there as Graham M, -M G-R-A-E-M-E-M. I'm on there as Lazy Bastard, L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And Matt Turrell is on there as well as Matt underscore Turrell, M-A-T-T underscore T-E-R-L. Uh, blah blah blah. We are a Patreon-supported podcast where, thank goodness, uh, many wonderful people managed to to um, sh- have shown their appreciation to us, and which in turn has managed to make us um, remarkably thankful, grateful, and given us a lot of a lot of energy, a lot of P and V to continue doing this. Uh, even though this is the 21st issue uh, episode of the Baxter Building, and we've done over 200 issues of Wayward What Podcast, where you can find them online on Stitcher, on iTunes, or at our website All free, thanks to, again, the support of these wonderful people, including the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios and Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Uh, We are especially grateful to them for their continuing support of the podcast and in the Empress Audrey's case for not crushing the galaxy in her enormous cosmic paw. Uh, Graham, what else did I miss?
0: No, I. you did it all, and you did it amazingly, Jeff. I'm I'm <laughs> in awe. I genuinely am. That's kind of amazing. And the sad thing is, I made you do that, and you also have the, the, the sign-off for the show as well. We will be back with New Baxter Building, where we do annuals for a change uh, in about a month. Our schedule yep. is going to get kind of weird for uh, October and November. Mm-hmm. Just want to throw that out there right now. Various things are happening none of them bad in fact in jeff's case very good i mm-hmm. think yeah uh but it's going to make our schedule kind of weird so keep your eyes on com and or the uh waitwhat twitter account yeah we will um, keep will you give up an to date on scheduling up there but jeff in the meantime i believe you have a perfect sign off note
1: <laughs> i do thank you everyone for joining us and we will see you next time in the lobby of the baxter building